Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the convention of the North Carolina Council of the Blind. For those of you who are just joining us for the first time today, we welcome you and welcome back for everyone else. And I just want to acknowledge um, the amazing technical support team that, that makes these convention Zooms happen. Um, this morning we had Monica and Doug, and Doug provided music during the lunch break. And now we have Lynn and David. And uh, you guys are amazing, and we, we honestly could not do this without you. So we're going to start our action-packed afternoon of, of sort of a virtual exhibit hall with a, a woman named Vicki Preddy. Are you here, Vicki? I am here. Thank I you. I thought you were. Yeah. So Vicki <laughs> is with is a nurse educator with pharma with Vanda Pharmaceuticals, and she does outreach to teach people about non twenty four, and uh, Vanda very generously provided support for this convention. Uh, in the form of a donation. And we are very grateful for Vanda's support of our convention and really major support of ACB for years now. So I will let, I will let Vicki tell you more about herself and what she does. And then hopefully we'll have, if people have questions, we'll have time for some questions. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you, Becky. Um, well, hello everyone. Um, thank you for letting me be a part of your convention. Um, I'm I'm pretty impressed with how well it's run, and um, I really liked that that music we had in that hour. It was pretty enjoyable. Um, but I'm glad to be here. Um, my name is Vicki. Um, my last name is Preddy, and I'm a nurse educator with Vanda Pharmaceuticals, as Becky said. I actually cover five states in the southeast region, including North Carolina. Um, so I, I raise awareness and uh, provide education around uh, a rare condition called non-24, and that's N-O-N-24. Um, non-24 is just a short name for non-24 hour sleep-wake sleep disorder. Um, it's a circadian rhythm disorder, and it results in disturbances when people sleep and when they're awake. Um, the reason that I'm speaking to your group and groups like yours is about 70% of people who are totally blind are affected by it. Um, however, you don't have to be totally blind to have non-24. Um, it can happen at any age, and the symptoms usually start close to the time that a person loses their sight. And the three symptoms that we're talking about, well, there are three main ones with non-24 um, it's difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, and excessive daytime sleepiness. So to understand non-24, I think it's important um, to know a little bit about three things. Um, the role of the master body clock, um, the role of circadian rhythms, and then the role that our eyes play in this disorder. First of all, to start out, we all have a master body clock, and it's located in our brain. Um, there are different names for it. Sometimes you'll hear it called a circadian clock, a biological clock, or an internal clock. Um, but the role of that master body clock is to control the timing of circadian rhythms. And circadian rhythms are daily activity cycles um, in our bodies, and some examples um, include our sleep-wake cycle, um, our hormone secretion cycle, 
um, our body temperature cycle. There are many, but those are just three examples. The word circadian actually means about a day. So to kind of you know wrap up or summarize what I just told you, um, our master body clock controls the timing of our internal daily activity cycles, which we call the circadian rhythms, in a period of time that's equal to about a day. Um, some important features of that master clock are that, um, first of all, it runs on its own. There's nothing we have to do to prompt it to run, um, just like our heart. It beats on its own. There's nothing we really have to do to, to make that happen. Um, second, most people's body clock runs a little longer than 24 hours or, or about a day. That's where that word circadian comes in. Um, and it can be two minutes, five minutes, 10, 15, 20 minutes longer than a 24-hour period of time. Um, the length of time that that circadian or that the body clock runs varies from person to person. We all have our own unique timing system, just like we all have our own uh, unique fingerprint. Well, the challenging part is that the world clock that we live by is 24 hours. It's not any more, it's not any less. So the timing of our master clock, our internal clock is not aligned with a 24 hour day because it runs using its own timing system. And we established that's longer than 24 hours. Well, most of us plan our lives and our activities based on the timing of the 24 hour external clock. So it would be ideal for the internal clock and the external clock to be synchronized, um, to work together. Well, we can't change our 24 hour external clock that's already established. Um, the question is, can we change our internal clock so that it synchronizes with the external clock? And if so, how? Well, we've learned through research that our internal master body clock synchronizes with the external world clock using either a natural or artificial source of light. Um, we found that when light enters our eyes, it's received by special cells in the retina, and then those cells take that information, that light information, and send a signal to our master body clock notifying it that it's daytime that it's time to reset and synchronize with a 24-hour day. People with light perception are usually able to send a signal to the master clock telling it to synchronize with that 24-hour day. But people who are totally blind may not be able to send that signal needed to synchronize their master body clock because they lack the ability to perceive light. Without that signal, um, the master clock is going to run using its own natural and unique non-24 hour timing system, which we talked about is longer than 24 hours. And this is really what characterizes non-24. It's a misalignment between the internal and external clocks. So I mentioned earlier that uh, the role of the master body clock is um, to control our circadian rhythms, and those are those daily activity cycles in our body. Well, if our body clock, our master clock, is out of sync with a 24-hour day, all of the rhythms that it controls are also going to be out of sync, including that sleep-wake cycle and the hormone secretion cycle. 
Um, and the result can be that people fall asleep later and later each night. Um, they wake up later and later each day. And it progresses um, to a, or drifts really to a point where the nights become days and the days become nights, where your body or a person with non-24, their body does the opposite of what we would consider normal, where they have a really strong urge to sleep during the day and a strong urge to stay awake and alert at night. Um, again, the symptoms are difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, which sometimes we describe as broken sleep, where you fall asleep, wake up, fall asleep, wake up, and it happens all night long. And then um, an excessive daytime sleepiness. Well, those three symptoms can lead to um, lots of daytime napping, increased activity during hours when most people are asleep, um, sending out emails, doing chores, um, completing work assignments, um, can lead to irritability, exhaustion, problems with focusing or concentrating. Some people will say they have a real fogginess about them. Um, their thinking is kind of foggy. Um, they have like a disconnectedness to the world around them or to their environment. Um, they'll say they have problems managing responsibilities at school, work, home. Um, and then it can have an adverse effect on relationships, like just decreased time with family. Um, they miss family events. They miss social activities. And then sometimes resentment sets in because people that don't have non-24 don't really understand what's going on. Sometimes people with non-24 don't understand what's going on. So it's difficult to communicate sometimes. Um, They'll also say that they have they have times when they do feel more rested, um, where their symptoms aren't as bothersome, and that's because non twenty four is cyclical. The symptoms come and go, and that really just depends on whether the circadian rhythms are in sync or out of sync with a twenty four hour day. Um, they can line up, but it won't be long before the rhythms drift right out of sync all over again. Because remember that master body clock is not getting the signal that it needs to go in sync with a 24-hour day. So it's just going to continue running on its own. Um, I just would like to say that um, in, in kind of closing here, if you struggle with sleep, um, if your sleep schedule is different from other people that you know, um, if you're experiencing any of the symptoms that we talked about today, um, I would encourage you to discuss it with your doctor especially if you are totally blind. Um, remember that uh, Vanda has a support center that's staffed with health educators, so they're available to talk with you about your own personal situation. Um, they can provide more information for you about non-24. And of course, we never charge um, to have those conversations or to, to supply you with information. This is a support center with um, that you know, is free of charge. Um, I'm also available if you would like to call me um, and I can help you get connected with a, with a health educator and I'll, I'll give you my phone number right now. Um, it's area code 202-578-9060. And if you know someone who's experiencing things like this, please pass my number on to them as well. Um, we're here to help, okay? 
Um, and now I'm just going to open it up. If to if if you have any questions, I'm I'm here to answer them. Okay, number ending in zero six six. The question I want to have is. Um, I've got a couple of questions. First of all, is there a test that we can develop, I mean, that's been developed to find out if we have one non-24 or not? Because I think that I have it, but I'm not too sure because I stay awake most of the nights and I'm asleep sometimes a lot during the day and it drives mom nuts. So mm -hmm. I, you know, this is, and this is the first time I've ever heard Okay, the first time I ever heard about non-24 was during another convention a couple months ago. So I really need more information about this. But, you know, so I mean, I want to know, like, is there a test that's been developed that can tell us, you know, whether we have it better or not? Right, right. Thank you for your question. Um, what's your name, sir? My name is Todd, T-O-W-E. Todd, okay. Um, Todd, there there isn't a test that's available that we that is used to test for non-24. Um, the best thing that you can do um, is to keep a diary and and keep track of your symptoms and do that over mm -hmm. a couple of months um, because, as I said before, it's cyclical. So you're going to have good days, bad days, good nights, bad nights. So we want to see a pattern. We want to look for patterns. So. Our best recommendation is two things, keep a diary, but also um, I would strongly recommend that you connect with a, a health educator so that you can learn more about non-24 and talk about um, your personal situation uh, with, with a Could health you, educator. Right, can you send information about getting in contact with the health information to my email address or to my mom's email address? Oh wait, you don't have that. Uh, sorry about that, but, but, but I'm just, I just want to get more information and I don't, you know, and I don't know if we, I don't know how we'll contact each other after the conference is over. That, that's all so, I'm saying is. This is Lacey and I handled registration. So Todd, what I can do is I can email you the email at the email address you use at registration, Vicky's information. And then that way you can reach out to her and she can get you what you need. Does that sound okay? Yeah, Lacey. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Todd, can I just say one more thing too? Um, are you able to write down my phone number, Todd? Oh, oh okay, go ahead. Area code 202-578-9060. All right, thank you so much, I appreciate that. Call me that. anytime, Todd, okay? Thank oh, you. All right, I'll do that, okay. I'll do that. Thank you very much okay. for that question. Anybody else wanna ask me a question? I think we have a couple more minutes. Any more raised hands? I don't see any more. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I I think it's really nice. It's good to, to hear someone say that this is like news to them because a lot of us, because we've been involved with ACB conventions and conferences, have, have heard quite a bit about this. And some of us probably even know people that deal with it. And there's even a TV commercial that comes on periodically. So um, it's really nice to know that we reach somebody who really needs the information. And I hope that Todd will, in fact, follow up. Um, and yeah, we don't, we have what about, we have about five minutes left. So I have a I, question, Becky. Oh, go ahead. Um, I'm Joe Tolliver. And I have gone to 
uh, ophthalmologist to have my eyes checked just because I think it's a good thing to do. I have some light perception, but when my doctors examine my eyes, they tell me that I don't. And someone told me that um, that light perception could be going from behind my knees to my brain. Have you heard about this? And I can tell you're you're jumping on it. What comment do you have for me? Hi, Joe. Um, this this is Vicky. I've never heard that behind your knees. That's what I was told, and I've been kind of mystified. But mm-hmm. even when they do a B scan or whatever you call that, see the very back of your eyes, they can't in mine because that there's so much scar tissue there. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, you know, I can see some light. I know when the sun's out. I know when the lamp's on. And they say, yeah, but you don't have light perception. I'm going, hmm. Hmm. And I know that's a little bit off topic, but it might no, have to do with my sleep. Yeah. It, well, if you're if you're struggling with sleep, um, I, I would encourage you to, to, you know, really examine that a little bit more closely with, mm-hmm. you could talk to a, a health educator about that. She may sure. know something about what you're talking, you know, what you're asking about as well. They, that they are really, um, really knowledgeable in, in right. not just non-24, but kind of those things as well. Uh-huh. So thank you so much. Yeah, Help. you're welcome. I wish I could answer that for you, but that is news to me. Okay, we have two raised hands now. Do we have time for that? I think we can do that if they were fairly quick. Okay. Jamaica, you are allowed to talk. There's a notification on your screen. Yes, this is uh, Jamaica Miller, and I'm wanting to ask, is there any medicines that you're supposed to take if you have non-24? And if there are, is it is it like a capsule or a liquid so um, thanks, Jamaica, for that question. Um, there are treatments for non-24. Um, be, because I'm a nurse educator, I'm, I stay un, unbranded, as they call that, where, you know, I, I teach you about the, the disorder itself um, and raise awareness. But um, a health educator at Vanda can can discuss medications with you if, if that's, um, you know, something you would like to talk about. Um, and and you can you can do that again by connecting with me, and then I can get you signed up to to talk to someone. We do have another one. This will need to be the last one, I think. Yes, uh, this is Douglas Davis, and um, I thought I heard at the top of the conversation that you mentioned something about uh, people going blind, uh, as opposed to those who were born. Now, I was born blind, and um, I've dealt with this practically all of my life. And when you were uh, laying out the symptoms of everything, that, that's, that's me to achieve. Mm-hmm. So it, what about uh, people that were born blind? Uh, does it affect them differently or... No, How does no. that work? 
um, you, what I said, um, I think what you heard me say in the beginning is that um, it can happen at any age, but the symptoms usually start close to the time that a person loses their sight. Um, so if you were born blind and you, you just said that you've been dealing with this your whole life, um, that, you know, it could be that you're experiencing um, these symptoms of non-24 right from, you know, right from the day you were born. Would it have mattered that I had uh, light perception till I was about seven? Light perception only. Um, well, if you sometimes if you don't have enough light perception, you can still experience the symptoms. Um, no, I didn't have a lot of it. No. Uh huh. Yeah. So you so even though you have some some people are not totally blind, but they have the some of the symptoms because it's just not quite enough light perception to trigger that. Um, to trigger the signal to the to that master body clock to get reset, so that that's a, that's more of a theory that that's what we think is happening because we do see people that are not totally blind that have non twenty four and we think that's why that they have some light perception but not enough to trigger that. Well, we have the same area code, so I, I think I will be giving you a call. Okay, you everyone. Should I? Should I? Can I say my number one more yes. time? Okay, yes. and your um, email address as well. Okay, um, it's two zero two five seven eight nine zero six zero, and um, my email address is Vicky V I C K I dot Preddy. P-R-E-D-D-Y at Vanda Pharma. And Pharma is, well, it's V-A-N-D-A-P-H-A-R-M-A dot com. Excellent. Okay. Well, Vicki, thank you very much for a very informative and helpful presentation. And I'm glad to hear that there are some folks that will be contacting you to see if they can get help with, uh, with this condition. So uh, thank you very much for joining us and feel free to hang around if you like. Okay. Um, and uh, again, we appreciate you and we appreciate the support of Vanda Pharmaceuticals. Thank you You're very, very much. Welcome. You're welcome. Thank you, everyone. Um, Miss Door Prize Diva, do you think we can squeeze in a door prize? I think we got some time to squeeze in a few door prizes. All right, let's get our magical wheel of names. This door prize will be a $10 Walmart gift card donated by Alabance County. And the winner of that door prize is Marcia Moses. So, Marcia, I will get your information to Anthony Yellick, which is the president of the Alabama chapter, and he will get you your gift card. We can go ahead and do one more. We'll do another $10 gift card to Walmart. That goes to Lynette Petit, who happens to be from Alamance County. So, Anthony, will get you your gift card as well. And actually, I, I believe Anthony said that he was engaged to her. Yes. Yes. So there you have it, folks. It's in the family. 
That's right. Go Alamance. <laughs> <laughs> and as I always say, as I always say, if you are listening through the ACB radio stream and you would like to be entered into the magical wheel of names, you can go to www.nccbinfo.com. And you can register there, pay the little registration fee, and we will get your name in the drawing for the next door prize. Uh, excuse me, this is Lynn. You said NCCB and then it cut Info. off. Sorry, it's, it's okay. NCCBinfo.org. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm on it. <laughs> He's on it. All Oops. right, good deal. <clears throat> yeah. So um, our next presentation is at 1.30. Um, this is the, what you're going to hear next is an audio presentation that Guiding Eyes for the Blind presented as a, our virtual exhibit booth um, at the National Convention. And I say our because at the time this recorded, I was still working there. Um, and then after 21 years as manager of consumer outreach and graduate support, I retired on June 5th. But my fourth guide dog, Ballad, B-A-L-L-A-D, who's laying here by my guitar, oddly enough, um, is my fourth guide from Guiding Eyes for the Blind. And uh, I, I appreciate uh, the opportunity for us to present this. It's short. And uh, we'll go ahead, David, whenever you're ready, and roll the beautiful footage. Your puppy has a cute <laughs> name. Ball- that's a cute name. Ballad's adorable. I love it. All right. Yeah, I know. I know. She's adorable, too. All right. Well, here you go then. We'll play it now then. Uh, yeah. So we'll we'll roll the tape, and then if people have questions about guiding eyes afterwards, we could take a couple minutes, and then who knows, we may end up doing more door prizes. So stay tuned, and whenever you're ready, David, hit the button or whatever it is. Hi, I'm Becky Davidson, welcoming you to the Guiding Eyes for the Blind virtual exhibit booth. Thanks for stopping by. At Guiding Eyes, we are passionate about connecting exceptional dogs with individuals who are blind or visually impaired for greater independence. Our student-centered approach to our mission is designed to meet each individual's needs. Stay tuned to hear about our programs and services. Hi, Woody Curry here senior guide dog mobility instructor. Before we get into what makes Guiding Eyes one of the foremost guide dog schools, let's start off with who we are, where we are, and where we go. We are an accredited member of the International Guide Dog Federation. We graduate around 170 guide dog teams each year. We've been on the forefront of training, first with our specialized training program, and just recently with our running guides program. Our main campus and training facility are in Yorktown Heights, New York a short 45-minute drive north of New York City. Even though Guiding Eyes is located on the East Coast, we service clients from all 50 states, Canada, and Puerto Rico. Hi, everyone. I'm Dan Wiesner, and I'm a guide dog mobility instructor at Guiding Eyes for the Blind. At Guiding Eyes, we are known for not only our exceptional guide dogs, but also a customized personal approach. This empowers our applicants, students, and graduates to define what enhanced mobility with a guide dog means to them. At Guiding Eyes, we are experts at working with our students and graduates as individuals. Our guide dogs and services are offered at no cost. And this also includes a lifetime of follow-up service. A little bit about our different training programs. We have the Residential Training Program, which is a three-week-long immersive program at our campus and training center. We hold one class a month with an average class size to 12 to 14 with a student instructor ratio of 4 to 1. 
Students and their new guides do daily routes, training sessions, and participate in instructor-led lectures and discussions. Route work is done in a smaller city environment that offers a variety of training opportunities. All teams initially work similar routes, and as training progresses, each team will talk with their instructor to create a plan for a customized route travel in an environment that will best prepare the team for their home. Students are given the opportunity to work with their new guides in New York City, where they can experience the hustle and bustle, as well as the subways and more bus travel. The home training program conducts training in your home environment. This allows the instructor and student flexibility in creating a training outline that works around the student's schedule. Home trainings are between 10 and 15 days in length and allow the team to work their main routes multiple times and begin building a solid working relationship. We also have our Accelerated Client Training Program, or Action Training for short. This helps meet the needs of experienced guide dog users. Action Training students train for 10 days residentially from our campus, then return home to complete training for several days in their home environment. Hi, it's Ellen Purcell, Director of the Specialized Training Program. The Specialized Training Program was formerly known as the Special Needs Program. We felt that the name change better reflects the type of training offered to our students. The Specialized Training Program was groundbreaking and the first of its kind. It was developed to empower those who wish to travel with a guide dog, but have an additional challenge. Some of these challenges may include balance or gait issues, needing a dog trained on the right side, cognitive challenges, and individuals who are deafblind. Specialized training is innovative and unique in many ways. Here are a few examples. Teams can train either residential class or home training. Residential training takes place concurrently alongside the general class. There are only two students in class at once. Having a two-to-one ratio allows a greater opportunity for route and training customization based on the individual team's needs. Or training can be done entirely at home during a home training with a specialized training instructor. Equipment is tailored as necessary to fit the team's needs. Specialized training instructors are proficient in American Sign Language. Jolene Hollister, guiding us for the blind team lead and director of the Running Guides program. For the first time, runners with vision loss don't have to be reliant on human guides or limited to the treadmill. The Guiding Eyes Running Guides program is the only program of its kind and enables graduates to run independently. Individuals participating in the Running Guides program do so in addition to their formal guide dog training. Running team training can take place during residential training or in the student's home area with one of our Running Guide specialists. Guiding Eyes, in collaboration with Roughwear, have developed the Unifly harness. This innovative new harness is lightweight, ergonomic in design, and is geared towards both the dog and the handler. The harness is lighter for comfort and has an adjustable, removable handle. This allows for quick, on-the-go customization of the handle's length and position. The Unifly harness has solely been used by the Running Guides teams, but is now available to all Guiding Eyes graduates. Hello, this is Dr. Beth Brennick-Meyer, the Chief Veterinary Officer at Guiding Eyes for the Blind. Maintaining the health and well-being for our world-class canines is of the utmost importance at Guiding Eyes. Our top-notch veterinary care extends to our graduates throughout the team's life together. The veterinary staff is available to consult with a graduate's primary veterinarian, as well as providing ongoing support through phone calls, emails, referrals, or, if proximity allows, on-campus veterinary care. For graduates who rely on outside veterinary services, Guiding Eyes offers each active team $500 yearly to offset veterinary expenses. 
Our Graduate Assistance Fund is just one more way that Guiding Eyes ensures that our teams stay together in good health. Hi, everyone. It's Jessie DiNapoli, Manager of Admissions at Guiding Eyes for the Blind. In admissions, we are here to help you navigate the application process. There are several eligibility requirements that need to be met before applying for a guide dog. These are the questions you should ask yourself. Are you legally blind? Do you live in the United States, Canada, or Puerto Rico? Have you had orientation and mobility training? Do you have one to three routes that you walk regularly, unaccompanied and independently using a white cane? Can you be responsible for the care of a dog? Meet all the requirements? Great! Now it's time to apply. You can apply on our website or contact admissions directly and request an application. A member of the admissions department will contact you upon submission of your application. We are always here and happy to answer your questions. We look forward to hearing from you. Lauren Adam here, administrative assistant for the admissions department. Just wanted to say hello and thank you so much for stopping by. At Guiding Eyes, we are committed to connecting extraordinary dogs with exceptional individuals for greater independence. We are here to ensure that the next adventure is always within reach and never farther away than the other end of the leash. Visit us on the web at www.guidingeyes.org. Call us at 800-942-0149 or 914-245-4024. You can also check us out on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. there's there you have it that is the that's a nutshell version of what guiding eyes for the blind has to offer so um, if if there are any questions feel free to raise your hand i think we have a few minutes if not we'll carry on nobody so far okay well you've got the contact information or you can always uh, contact me and uh, my email is beckyb1120 at gmail.com. So, and Lacey and I both have contact information for all of our presenters this afternoon. So um, everyone will give you their contact information, but if for some reason you don't catch it, you can contact us. Let's uh, do a door prize, Diva. All right. This time, I think it's fitting that we give away a $25 Amazon gift card from our very own Becky Davidson. Woo-hoo! So we're going to spin oh. the wheel and see. It's Larry Woodard. So Becky, we if you don't have his information, I'll get you Larry's information and you can send that over to him. He's our winner yeah. for your door prize. I think I have his email address, but you should probably send it to me. That'd be awesome. I can do it. Uh, right. Do we want to do another one or do we have, we can, uh, we can do one more. Okay. We'll do it. We'll do another $10 gift card to Walmart from Alamance. Tamika Polk Davis. So Tamika, I will get your information to Anthony and he will get you your gift card. Oh, right. I have but, a question for you, Becky. Yes. Okay. I've, uh, so I'm going to put you on the spot. So since you just retired from guiding eyes, what was your most rewarding part of working for them? I spent a lot of time uh, with 
the students who were in class there. I did a, I, I did a what we call the transition meeting for people getting their next guide dog the night before they met their new dog because there's a lot of emotion involved with transitioning from one dog to the next. So we oh, would yes, meet. There is. Yeah, we would meet and talk and cry and and you know get all of those feelings out and help people understand that no, they're not alone and yes, this is normal. Um, and then you know just because I was on campus and we had students in class on campus, I spent as much time as I could just getting to know them, hearing their stories, watching the changes that happen as people kind of develop that new sense of independence and confidence, and then talking with them afterwards and, and you know, just getting to meet so many really wonderful people. And I learned, I've been blind all my life, but I learned so much from all the people I met at Guiding Eyes, and particularly those, you know, who lost their vision later in life and the adjustments that that involves. And I think that was the most rewarding part of my time there was just the people and, and, the, and you know, the impact that what we had on their lives. Uh, I, I'm not supposed to say anything, but I have a question. It's okay. the host. I have applied to, you know, two different schools, mm -hmm. and Guiding Eyes is one of them. And what I want to know is, uh, do you know, do they still, do they use the rough wear harness for all their dogs or just the running guides? They have just recently begun using it for people, for all their dogs, particularly. So if, you know, if you, um, if you are, you know, called to either class or home training, that will be one of the things you, you can talk about with, um, your instructor or whoever oh, your contact okay. will be. Now, do you yeah, know if, oh, I'm sorry. It's pretty cool. I don't use one, but it's pretty cool. I've seen it. Now, do yeah. you know if they're holding classes yet or are they still doing home training? They're not holding classes now. They're doing all home training. So they're, it's, they're bringing everybody, putting, bringing everybody on deck to get ready to travel. So depending on where you are and what the travel restrictions are to go in and out, um, you know, that's how they're handling it. Okay. So the wait times are probably going to be longer for a while, but depending on if people need to fly or are, um, right. or if, like if, if I were to go to New York for a visit, I'd have to quarantine for two weeks. So, I mean, okay. there's, there's those kinds of restrictions that all the guide dog programs are having to look at right now. Right. Thank you. Anything else or anybody else? I don't see anybody. All right. So um, many of you have heard Joel's name and have probably, some of you are probably on his audio description email list. He has been one of the most active players in the efforts to get audio description um, for as, as much available as is absolutely possible. And, uh, I, we, we actually, I'm hoping she's here. Um, Carrie from Australia. I don't know what time it is in Australia, but Carrie from Australia has registered for our conference and has been part of it. And we'll hopefully get the recordings if she's not able to attend, but she's an audio describer. So I'm hoping she's here. Um, so I get to introduce Joel Snyder, and we're kind of do this a little bit differently. 
Um, I'm going to ask him some questions, sort of interview style, and then um, at the end of his presentation, um, you can ask him questions too. So without further ado, Joel, Dr. Joel Snyder, are you there? I thought I should come in. I am. Hi, Becky. Hi. I don't, I don't Hi, know if we've ever actually met. Uh, well, we have now, at least. We have uh, now telephonically yes. and uh, hi to everybody at the North Carolina Council of the Blind as well. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, it's great to have you. And let me find my list because I had them in two different places. <laughs> and there you are. Um, so, Joel, uh, give us just a little bit of your background, what what your education is, that that kind of basic stuff. And then oh, we'll start goodness. talking about how you got involved with audio description. Sure, sure. Well, I, I've i always been involved with theater and media and uh, I, I for my whole life, but not, not yet for my whole life. Let, let's, yes. I, I hasten to add, um, I've been a member of the Actors' Equity Association and the um, uh, television radio union for 40 some years that gives you a hint as to how old i am uh i have a bachelor's degree in theater and education and a master's degree in theater and a phd in um, audio description really audiovisual translation a focus in audio description from the universitat autonoma de barcelona and oh. uh, that does not mean that I'm a fluent Spanish or a speaker of Catalan. It means that uh, it's really only in Europe where audio description can be studied academically. People can get master's degrees and PhDs. Hmm. And uh, I have a special affinity for the program in Barcelona because I helped to train the head of those that, that audiovisual translation program and, and others around Europe. I helped to train them in, in audio description about 15, 20 years ago. And and um, came came into the 2000s and or 2010s and uh, and thought you know I train the people that are out there teaching and I'm gonna I'm gonna get a, me a piece of paper as well and um, all of that came together with uh, the development of guidelines we were doing with the American Council of the Blind and uh, preparing a book and uh, that became uh, my dissertation and and yes yeah, so now I'm a doctor but uh, don't ask me to check your sore throat or anything like that. I will say you do have a radio voice. Oh, um, <laughs> okay. I, yeah. Thank you. Um, and I'm curious, what what piqued your interest in the whole audio description um, thing in the first place? Sure. Where did that develop? Well, it goes right back to the beginning of audio description in the United States, which is the, which is also means the beginning of audio description worldwide as a formal service. Again, I'd already always been involved in theater and media. And when I was an undergraduate in college, I'd been reading uh, books to uh, an individual, a woman who was blind, uh, reading uh, talking books for the Library of Congress. And then I, because I, um, I wanted to use my voice in a variety of different ways. And um, found out about the Washington Ear, which is a radio reading service, still available here in the Washington, D.C. area. And I became a volunteer in two, 1972 um, as a volunteer reader 
of newspapers and articles and magazines and radio reading services are around the, the, the globe, really. But there perhaps are, are a few less of them these days than perhaps in the beginnings. But um, uh, and there are various reasons for that. But so that was in 1972. And I'd been there about eight, nine years when uh, Margaret Fanshteel, a blind woman who ran the uh, founded the Washington Ear, she and a fellow named Chet Avery, a blind guy, were on the board, uh, a committee at Arena Stage in Washington, and Arena was so excited about installing assisted listening for people who are deaf, and uh, that was exciting. They were one of the first theaters to uh, adopt a, an assisted listening system. Well, Margaret and Cody, Cody, Cody was her husband, um, Margaret and Chet on the committee, uh, the, you know, kind of thought, well, this is a great system. It's using a microphone on the stage and and transmitting sound to people in the audience. What about us? Is there a way the same system could be used to describe what's happening on the stage so that we're not completely lost? Uh, why go to theater? Why go to the movies if you really can't follow it? Well, Arena Stage, to their credit, um, said, let's give that a try. Margaret had the Washington Ear recording studio already, and she had people like me and uh, about three or four others of us who had backgrounds in teaching English and theater and such. And uh, that's how it all began in 1981, really. We made our, our first audio described performance uh, at Arena Stage in Washington, D.C., and it uh, it just blossomed from there. Uh, just a few years later, uh, onto television, uh, courtesy of WGBH in Boston, and we we actually did the pilot for them. So, I wrote and voiced uh, three of the first audio described television broadcasts in 1985, uh, and it went on from there to VHS. Uh, what's that? A VHS tape. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and then DVDs and uh, television broadcast and such. And uh, we are now at a point where I did a survey uh, last year, I think it was, with the World Blind Union, uh, a collaboration between the Audio Description Project of ACB, which I run, uh, and the World Blind Union. And we have like some 70 countries around the world that have some degree of, of audio description. So it really has has spread far and wide. I was really excited the first time I went to a movie theater and somebody, the ticket person, saw my guide dog and said, did you know that we have headsets that uh -huh. you can put on? And I was thrilled. So then the next time I went to the movies, I asked for a headset and they had said, sorry, we don't have one for that particular movie. It was oh, one of those mega theaters. Right. So, and once you had, you know, I mean, like I've been blind all my life. I grew up using you know, whatever other information I could gather watching sure. TV or movie, whether it was the music or, 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 or whatever. Or, or using your, your elbow. And your using your elbow in the, in, you're using your elbow in the ribs of the person sitting next yes, to you. What's going on? What's above. going on? What's going on? And so <laughs> once you've had audio description and then you don't have it, it's jarring. Um, yeah. <laughs> it really is. No, absolutely. Um, so in addition to being an advocate and, and a creative person with all of this, you're an author. Is that right? Tell us oh, about the book. Well, my book uh, really was an outgrowth of uh, a lot of my early work with audio description uh, and uh, partly uh, part of uh, the development of uh, guidelines that the American Council of the Blind developed in the Audio Description Project. Um, and the guidelines there are kind of, a, I did a good bit of research on guidelines that existed already around the world. So it's a bit of a, 
uh, a summary, uh, a compilation of the best of the best guidelines around the world for how to produce audio description. Uh, and I pulled that together. I pulled together a lot more information in building my dissertation uh, for my PhD. And that became my book. Uh, the audio. It's, a, it's called The Visual Made Verbal, a uh, comprehensive training manual and guide to the applications, to the history and applications of audio description. And uh, it's published by the American Council of the Blind in 2014. And I'm thrilled to be able to say that it um, first printed, printing sold out. Uh, we ran out of copies just last year. Uh, the second printing is now available, so you can now get it again through Amazon.com. But it's been published by the Library of Congress in Braille. Uh, and as an audiobook, it's available in Portuguese and Polish and Russian and, um, and actually Spanish is coming this year. Yes, yeah, Spanish is, Are you is doing its it way. Spanish, Joel? Well, no, no, no. I, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm not a fluent Spanish speaker, but I know, you know, I've trained and spoken on description, uh, trained describers in over 60 countries. So I have a good network of folks around the world. Uh, and so I have some folks in Argentina who are working on the Spanish translation and, and that publication, uh, but also um, soon to come will be uh, Greek and Chinese of all Whoa. things, all having right. um, trained describers in Athens and uh, spoken on description um, uh, in a number of uh, sites throughout China and in Taiwan. So uh, those are coming. So uh, take your pick. What language? I'll stick to English myself, thank you. <laughs> and and by you... the way, it's also available from the American Council of the Blinds Mini Mall in print in English, but also as a screen readable, screen reader uh, uh, friendly uh, version. Okay. Uh, so it's available in text or, or PDF or, or MS Word. Whatever it comes out in. There you go. Whatever printable way it could be available. There you go. Did you narrate? Did you read the audiobook yourself? There are two versions, actually, and there is one version that I did, yes, and uh, there's another version that the uh, uh, Library of Congress in D.C. actually uh, commissioned through their own recording studio in Washington. So there are actually two versions in okay. as the audiobook. Excellent. So let's kind of look forward a little bit. Where sure. do you see audio description going from this point now? Well, that's such an important question, uh, Becky. And and actually, I hearken back to a little bit of what you said earlier, going to the movie theater and asking for equipment. And, um, you know, you're, you had the experience of them saying, well, the description isn't available for that movie in that particular theater and that, that uh, hall at the Cineplex. But I'll tell you something, most... I hear this from from folks um, who call into the audio description project at the American Council of the Blind. So often they get a, a headset that's just not working. The batteries oh, yeah. have, haven't been replaced or it's set for assisted listening. So they're not getting the description. And how annoying is that when you have to movies just starting, you have to get up out of your seat, find somebody to go replace the headset or whatever. And I, that ties into where description is going from here. I think one of the most important developments um, over the next 10 years will be the fact that folks will get the audio description through their own smartphone. Um, you will be able, and you already can do this with a limited number of films and TV shows. Uh, you can download an app 
to your smartphone. And there are two of them available in this country. One is called Spectrum Access, and the other is called SoundFi, F-I. You download that app, and what that app allows your smartphone to do is to listen to whatever is being played. A movie is being played in the movie theater or perhaps on your television set at home. Once you have that app installed, you can then download to the app the audio description track for any number of films. And again, it's not as uh, not as many films available just yet as, as it will be. But if, if the audio description track is available for uh, Black Panther, say, uh, and, and you want to go to the movie theater and enjoy it with your, your sighted friends or sighted family, you know, you download the audio description track and you turn that app on. The app listens to the movie as it's playing in the movie theater and automatically syncs the description track. Uh, so you hear it through your own earbuds uh, in your with your own smartphone. Um, and of course, you know, for, I think this is good, the, really a big part of the future of description delivery, although theaters will still maintain equipment. They, they really should. They really have to in order to be compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act. You can't make accessibility dependent on somebody having a smartphone. But I think more and more within 10 years, you know, a, a vast majority of the American public will will have access to a smartphone or can borrow one or a device that will allow you to, to download and sync the description. I actually downloaded the Spectrum Access app and tried it with a movie Great. I kind of wanted to see called The Weight of Water. Uh-huh. Uh, the, and I, I did it on my TV in my living room, but yeah. I was pretty amazed at how it worked. It's a Isn't little bit something? cumbersome to use. You have to, you know, kind of get used to it. You might find that you have to go back in and kind of get the the audio to catch up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, the resyncing of it. Yeah, the re, you have to re some. You may have to resync. Yeah, yeah. but it was it was really a, a kind Once of a you get cool used way to, it. to sit in my recliner with my earbuds in and have there the you movie go. on and I w- there wasn't anybody with me that I could say hey this is cool so I just you know said it myself <laughs> but um but it it, it actually I, I suspect there's a lot of potential with those kinds of apps I think so I uh, think so yeah as long as as you say people who don't necessarily have or use smartphones that that much yeah. still need to have the same access that you know that anybody else would have That's right. so and, you know, the American Council of the Blind has been so active in the promotion of description right back to the 80s in the beginnings of it all. Um, there are people from ACB and myself, too. I am I have my own company, Audio Description Associates, and I run ACB's Audio Description Project on a contract with them. But but folks from ACB and, and myself from Audio Description Associates, we're on the FCC's Disability Advisory Committee, and we're working hard on expanding access to television uh, with audio description, you know, right now the law mandates description over broadcast television, but it's at such a tiny amount, Becky. It's, it is. It's only s- about seven hours per week for just nine broadcasters, the four uh, terrestrial broadcasters, we call them ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox, and then the top five cable networks. Well, there are hundreds of networks now, and they all broadcast 24 hours a day. And so if you think about seven hours a week just for nine of them, that's not a lot um, compared to the UK where the mandate is fully 10% of all broadcasts. So I'm hoping that we're going to expand that 
um, that um, will be able to expand the way you access it, you know, because on television, you have to turn on the secondary audio program channel, if you will. And yeah. there's only one of those secondary audio streams. So, and that audio stream was there originally for the broadcast of Spanish translation. Right. And, so and even today, even today, yeah, you'll between the two of them. That's so, right. You'll yeah. turn on a show and you get Spanish translation yeah. and you want a description, yeah. you know. So we need to we need to fix that too. So and we will. So that kind of leads to this next question. What do you think are the best ways for individuals to advocate for uh, audio descriptions in the theater and at move and at home? Um, sure. Well, you know, if you're having difficulty, for sure, call the, the network, the local affiliate. Uh, if it's a television broadcast, that's a problem. If, if you're having difficulties with the description in a movie theater, you know, make your voice known. Uh, really, audio description is, is the least visible, if you will, uh, kind of assistive technology because sighted people don't see it. You know, they see captions, they see sign language. They don't know anything about audio description. Even folks who use description sometimes are just not in the know about it. We have to raise its visibility. And when you call around and demand the access that's your right, that raises the visibility. Uh, get in touch with us at, I want to be sure I, I mentioned the ACB Audio Description Project website, acb.org slash ad. P, and we have a listserv that you can sign up for a discussion group. Uh, there are other discussion groups on Facebook as well, um, as well as ours. Um, but staying in touch that way, getting involved with the project, we have uh, about nine different committees that, and we welcome new people all the time to help us with description in performing arts, in museums, on television, with film, uh, in all kinds of ways. Um, we have one committee I want to plug, uh, too, that's called the BADI Committee, B-A-D-I-E, Benefits of Audio Description in Education. It's a great program. We've had a lot of success with getting kids, blind kids, to write reviews of audio described videos. And they send them in to us. We give prizes to the very best ones in four different age ranges. We give prizes to their teachers, too. And uh, our top winners get a chance to read their essay at uh, an ACB convention. Uh, we did that. Uh, we did that virtually in July. We did it uh, live and in person the last few years too. So, um, lots of activity at the uh, ACB's Audio Description Project, and that's one way I think uh, people can be active in promoting description and uh, and learning more about it too. One of the things that I found most discouraging during this most recent storm season was the interruptions in programming with weather statements and there oh, was no sure. audio. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to me, that's like vital. You're, yeah. you're absolutely right. And that is actually a part of the law now that uh, emergency broadcast statements need to be voiced. And if they are not being voiced, you know, those scrolls that go across the bottom of right. the screen, that material needs to be voiced. And if it's not, pick up the phone and let your network people know. Let the FCC know. FCC.gov. It's very easy to file a complaint and let them know, hey, uh, this station, uh, this network is not 
doing something that they're supposed to be doing, meaning uh, passing description through or certainly reading aloud, voicing aloud the emergency information. That's a I great mean, point, Becky. What, what you get is a tone, and that's supposed to get your attention. And that's right. We're, we're looking at toward in the general direction of where our TV is going right. and your point. So, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> really. So, I mean, I, and that, that could be crucial to somebody's safety. That Absolutely. Could be a issue. Absolutely. So, That's yeah. a, I'm so glad you brought it up, Becky. That's a good, yeah. great point. So is there anything else that you'd like us to know that we haven't covered? And then we'll open it up for questions. We well, have you know, probably another 10 minutes. I was talking to uh, you, well, talking to you and, and to Joe via email. And one, one question that came up was, <laughs> you know, what part do blind people play and can they play in audio description? And that's really important and getting more and more. So, you know, um, in a, with a community that traditionally has 70% unemployment. Uh, wow. Audio description can be for and by people who are blind. I hire people who are blind who know about description as audio description consumer consultants all the time to, to advise me on language used in developing an audio description script or maybe for a museum tour, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, people who are blind can be uh, audio description voicers, voice talents. Uh, I can think of a handful of people I know that do that work on a regular basis. Uh, people who are blind can be expert audio editors as well. So um, I encourage folks to think about audio description as a as an avenue for an employment. And and beyond that, I I honestly think that when people have more access to culture and the arts i think they become they become more engaged with uh, their cultural resources they become more engaging people i really believe that that goes for anybody and and i think when you're a more engaging person you're more employable so my my feeling is that long term you know audio description when it's more widely available it's going to help people be better citizens better more involved people in their community and and hopefully even more employable that's excellent thank you very much for that sure lynn our host our our lovely host do we have any raised hands yes we do all right let's go okay uh number ending in 985 you can unmute hi um i just want to make it known that this is jane for reader and i'm cited and the first descriptive movie I saw was at the ACB convention, and it was Hugo. Oh, and okay. I, have to, I have to say that that was a wonderful movie to pick for the first movie to, sh to introduce blind people to descriptive video because there was so much description in that movie that it was easy to follow. Tony, my husband, Tony, he's totally blind. And um, we, we often... Uh, get movies, new, the new movies now have descriptive video and we sure. totally enjoy it. But I, my um, statement is that um, even though the movies are, are descriptive, the devices aren't friendly for blind people. Yeah. So if yeah. you have a VCR, a DVD player rather, and you want to watch the movie, you still can't watch it if you're totally blind. Uh, it, maybe even low vision people can't see, depending on how, how their vision is to have the ability to watch a movie on their uh, yeah. DV. 
yeah. seed plant. That is still a problem. You're absolutely right. Um, although, uh, to a greater extent, uh, there are there is equipment available that that is talking that talks to you um, for streaming services certainly for um, the players themselves I would encourage folks to visit again the audio description project website acb.org adp and we try to keep track of the latest equipment advances that will allow you to uh, uh, be able to hear what those visual menus involve and those visual controls. Uh, you're absolutely right. Back when I was doing DVDs of, of major films, that's great that the description's there, but you put it in your DVD player and somebody cited has got to turn the description on for you because it's all visual menu. Very few right. DVDs had an audio menu. So, uh, but I think we're, we're, we're starting to round the corner on that and get a little bit better, but that's an excellent point you bring up. Yeah, um, that is a good point. Yeah. And, and I just want to say one more thing, if I can. Um, being a sighted person, I really enjoy descriptive videos because ah. um, the description will point out things that I probably would not have noticed as a sighted person. <laughs> That's right. So maybe I'm not that observant. I don't know. But I just love the descriptive <laughs> video. Well, so you thank know, you very much. You know, thank you very much. When when you bet you bet uh, I think that was Tony in the background you bet yep. you know uh, sighted people uh, like our caller and myself you know we we're we're those we're the we're those folks with a disability we're light dependent you know if the lights go out Becky I want to be with you to help me get around <laughs> you know and 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 because of that we we see but we don't observe we don't really notice and I get that comment all the time from sighted people who, you know, they love that movie. They, they go back and try it again with audio description. My God, I didn't see that the first time. Well, of course you didn't because you didn't really notice. And the audio describers paid to notice those things and write that out for you. And um, I think another development will be soon. We'll have audio movies, audio films that will be more widely available. It'll be the soundtrack of that wonderful movie that just came out with audio description available as just an audio file that sighted people can uh, use when they're driving their car on a long trip or something, or they're at the gym or something like that. And as I often say, audio description is not just for blind people. It's for sighted people who are in the kitchen making a sandwich and the TV is on in the living room. You don't miss a beat. That's cool, yeah. <laughs> so. Other questions, Miss right. Lynn? Yeah, 752, you can unmute. Yeah, yes, I have a question regarding cost of audio description. And um, I would suspect that it does cost a lot. And what does the movie industry, the big uh, movie moguls, what do they think or do they have an opinion on audio description? And have they discovered uh, that blind people love movies too? Yeah, they have uh, increasingly. That's a great question. Uh, the cost to develop, first of all, there's no cost to the consumer ever, but the cost to develop an audio description track, if you think about some of these movies that have, oh golly, a $50 million budget, that might be just their promotion okay. budget, you know, to do the description for the feature film is probably less than $5,000. 
um, to mm-hmm. actually create the track and for a feature film. So it's it really is comparatively, it's a tuppence, if you will, just a, a drop in the bucket. And uh, they are now really obliged to create the, the description for first run films because the movie theaters have to be accessible, not only to somebody who uses a wheelchair, but they have to be programmatically accessible once you're inside the building, which means description, which means captions. So the movie producers have to provide those tracks to the movie theaters, and they're doing that to a greater and greater degree. Now, sometimes it doesn't carry over to the DVD or to the streaming version or what, or to the version that goes overseas, something like that. There's lots of little uh, hiccups like that that we, we track um, and try to keep track of that way. But I think the movie industry is, is buying into it. We, we've had, um, we at American Council of the Blind Audio Description Project have been in discussions already with um, David Rubin, who's the president of the Motion Picture Academy of Arts and Sciences. They just opened a museum. And they're quite aware that they that that museum needs to be accessible to people who are blind. But beyond that, they're quite aware that the movie industry needs to be more description friendly, uh, perhaps getting going back into catalogs and describing public domain films or, or films that are in a particular studio's library, uh, making them all available. Um, they're, they're coming around and we're really pleased to see that. Uh, the television industry needs to, to uh, do that as well to an even greater degree, I sure. think. So we're, we're getting there. Are, are, but- are there any situations that you know of where maybe writers or someone have have some concerns about audio description altering uh, the movie <laughs> yeah. or, what, or what they thought it might be? Well, yeah, yeah, that that's a concern that was brought up back in, uh, I believe, 2000, 2002, when description was first mandated by the FCC by by just promulgating a rule. It wasn't legislated. Um, And that was one of the concerns that the industry brought up is, well, wait a second. The First Amendment gives us freedom of speech and the freedom to not make speech. And what are you telling me? You're going to add a whole track to my movie that I created? You can't do that. Well, we're not we're not altering the movie. We are simply making it accessible just the way captions do for somebody who's deaf, just the way an alternate language does to someone who doesn't speak English. We are simply translating what the movie is two words. Uh, So we don't get that concern or that complaint any longer, at least not often, but it has been raised. It has been raised. Uh, I had that discussion, a very brief discussion with uh, Woody Allen himself, actually, many years ago when he heard that one of his films was being described for television. And uh, what? You're going to add words to a film I directed that I wrote? And it was explained to him and he, oh, okay, I see. What, okay, yeah, all right, that's fine. Yeah, that's a good idea. Great, thanks. Uh, that <laughs> Did he ever see it. the movie you described? Did he ever I don't think so. I don't, think so. I don't even remember. I don't even remember what movie it was. But yeah. uh, it, it, no, I don't I don't know that he, uh, you know, got involved in it uh, exactly, but, uh, yeah. or, or became an advocate. Uh, Steven Spielberg, I know, I've had the discussion with him and he is aware of it. And 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 a, and, a, and a fan of it, um, and uh, George Lucas is to uh, a degree as well. 
Well, that's great because the special in their the special effects in many of their movies really do need to be described. Oh, sure. So awesome. So oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your question. And I think we've reached the end of our time slot. And I want to thank Joel very much for putting up with me being an interviewer. Oh, no, this was a great way to do it. I like it. It's more interactive like this. This is great. <laughs> well, you did a great job, for, Becky. And I, I hope I was able to convey some, some valuable I information. Think you, I think you were. And I, if you want to give any contact information for sure. people... This would be the time. Well, in, again, the Audio Description Project website, acb.org slash ADP. And you can always feel free to write to me directly if you have a question or a concern. J Snyder, J-S-N-Y-D-E-R at acb.org. And okay. uh, I look forward to hearing from y'all. Well, thank you for the hard work you've continued to do. And uh, those of us who are enjoying the fruits of your labors are very grateful for it. So thank oh, you I know so I do. Oh, and thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time and your energy and keep at it. And we're and, with you. And congratulations on your conference. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Okie doke. Bye-bye. Bye now. Okay. We are at 2.15. Um, do we want to do a door prize, Diva? And then we'll go right or on to the next. Door yeah, prize. We'll do a quick. We'll do a quick. Because we're going to do one at the end of this next presentation too, because of somebody being really nice and giving a gift. So, All right, go ahead so there. Door we'll prize, another... Diva. This is Monica. Door yeah. prize, Diva. This is Monica. I registered for your convention to let you know. <laughs> I got your, your name. Yeah, I did too. She, I did she too. She does not live in yep. Alamance County. Neither one of them do. This That's is what problem. I've been doing. I've been adding the names as they come in. So this right. time we're doing another $10 gift card to Walmart, and that's to Sheila McNair, who is, uh, I believe, from Raleigh. So, Sheila, I will get your information to Anthony and Jane, and they will get you your gift card. Okay. All right. Well, we're a couple minutes ahead of time. That'll just give our next presenters a couple more minutes. So the next two presenters um, you may have met at exhibit halls at national and some state conventions um, and among other places, they uh, Barry is on a lot of the technology shows, um, radio shows, and they have become, become very good friends of ours. And I'm talking about Guide Lights and Gadgets, and Guide Lights is Kay Ann Rausch, who um, has everything guide dog. In other words, uh, toys and um, accessories, grooming accessories, all of those kinds of things. Um, and her, when she's picking things to, to have available, she has guide dogs in mind specifically. Uh, she has lots of really cool stuff. And then gadgets, well, that's Barry. He's our gadget guy. And um, he pretty much has tested everything he has to sell. And so he can tell you how to use it and what it is and what it does. And um, he's got some really cool new stuff. So I'm not sure who's going to go first. So I will just say um, with a lot of happiness, here are <laughs> Ann Roush and Barry Scheuer. He's, he's somewhere in limbo. Okay, thank you, Kay. Yeah, it's I um we're we're doing this back and forth. I'm going to go first, and 
K, and we're going to split this pretty close to equal. I'm going to do about an item a minute, and we are guide lights and gadgets, and I'm going to start with the gadgets part of this. And what, what we do briefly, and some of you we know, many of you we know, um, but what we do are three things, basically. One of our lines is leather products. Lots of bags. Blind people love bags. We love bags. I once even put a bag over my head, but that's a story I won't tell today. But we also do lots of what I will call low-level electronics, meaning stuff that's simple to use that we use every day. And usually everything in that whole category is under $75. We try and keep it there. About six months ago, we also became one of the national distributors for Orbit. And we just happen to like their products. We, I have developed a, a really good relationship with Venkatesh Chari, their CEO. I admire what he's done. We handle both their writer as well as their readers. And um, we, again, we use them. The writer has been an incredible product. As I joke with people, the Orbit writer, which is the Braille Bluetooth keyboard, which I'm sure some of you know about. As I joke, about 75% of the people love it. About 15% of the people could take it or leave it. And about 10% of the people would rather not turn it on. But that, it's, it's still a pretty overwhelming popular product. We've done about 60 of them in the next couple of months. I keep saying we're not going to do any more. And Kate tells me we're not going to do any more. And then we do 10 more. But let me start with some of the newer and more interesting things. And I've got a watch on me. So hopefully at, uh, in exactly uh, 22 minutes, we will stop. Okay. I want to first talk about our sound boxes. Oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to do contact stuff at the end. So I'll make it easy. I want to talk about sound boxes. Sound boxes are something we discovered a couple of years ago that are amplifiers. They are like speakers, except you don't need new wires. You don't need Bluetooth. You don't need an audio cable. It is simply using a principle of magnetic induction, which is great if you want to suddenly listen to a stream at a louder volume while you're cooking in the kitchen and it's in the living room. It works great with your phone, particularly. And the best way I can do these is actually to try and demo. I've got two models of this in front of me. And let's see if... Uh, Let's see if we can unglitch this and we'll get it to work. Okay, now, what I'm gonna do is I'm starting this, and I'm actually starting this with a piece of music. There, now, what I'm gonna do, this is a model that the difference is pretty noticeable. This is actually a rechargeable unit that's the same size as a stream, so it fits really neat in your purse. It is made of a dark walnut. And you basically connect this using a rechargeable battery that you get between six and eight hours on. It's about five inches by three inches by three inches. This is actually one of our two newer models. It's got a felt base, which means it won't scratch your furniture. It's a dark walnut. And what it looks like is at one end of it, you see one little ear on each side. They're little indentations that look like speaker grills. And that's where the speaker magnets are that are basically taking the sound from your device and putting it into the amplifier. Um, that's small, and that's why we like it. And again, we carry, actually, we carry five different models of these. They run anywhere from $30 to $75. I'm trying to show two that are in the middle. And that is a wooden rechargeable. Now, there's a whole different line of them that are plastic that use AA batteries. And you would think that the wooden ones always sound better, but that's not necessarily always the case. And in fact, um, one of the particular new models that we're carrying uh, actually is a stereo unit. And... 
It also has its own independent volume control, whereas just about every other unit, the volume is controlled by your device. So this, um, I'll just give it one more try because it's being stubborn at me. Pretty difference in volume. That's actually Genesee stars. But the volume has been estimated to me to be, it's somewhere between about a 30 to 40 dB increase. So it's pretty significant. Um, those, and it's like that one is a, that's a double A one and it works. Literally, you can, you can keep that one going for probably, I'd say a hundred hours on a set of batteries. Of course, you do have to turn it on. Now, the only thing is, you don't know when it's on or off unless you test it. So those are sound boxes. And again, they work with pretty much any device that you want to amplify. The second thing I want to talk quickly about is we have recently, and we, we've been selling the Orbit Writer for a, about five months. But last week, we've introduced a new Orbit Writer bundle because I wanted to update some of the things we include. And I don't, I, I, I've joked with people that I don't want to sell naked orbits and as a result, we put things with them. And we do four things with our bundle. One of them is the writer. One of them is one of our neck pouches that the writer fits in that goes around your neck that people use with Be My Eyes or with Ira. They put your phone in that's hands-free. It will also hold the writer. You can't use it in it, but it'll store it for carrying. Then the third piece of it is we finally did our own carrying case, not a use case, but a travel case that will hold both your orbit rider and a phone. It's actually one of our three leather vendors is a motorcycle accessories manufacturer that coincidentally ended up being in Myrtle Beach. And they have been a wonderful partner. It didn't always start out that way. As Kay and I joke about blindies meet bikers. It was a little strange in the beginning, but four years and a, a lot of dollars changing hands and buying a lot of product. They're really cool people. And we have a couple of their products I'm, I'm talking about today, but one of them is this great case that'll hold an orbit rider and your phone guaranteed pretty much any size, any size, for example, iPhone you're using. And that's a $20 case. And it is a very heavy duty cowhide leather. So that's actually in terms of price by, you know, good bargain wise, that's pretty much one of the, the best things that we do. And the last piece in the bundle is I had asked Lisa Salinger, who many of you know from Mystic Access Tutorials and teaching at Hadley and things to do a tutorial for us. And Lisa did a really excellent, just under an hour of getting you started with the Orbit Writer. And I can supply that to people either on an SD card or we can supply it um, actually just send the file through a Dropbox link. But that's included with our Orbit Writer bundle. And that is a $150 bundle, including shipping. So all that stuff is included. The third item is the neck pouch I just mentioned. Um, as we joke, we're 650 of them sold and we're still counting four years later. It is a, it is a full, full leather, three different full compartments to store devices and they're graduated. So two of them in the front will take different size phones with your camera pointing outward. The one in the back can hold something larger like an orbit writer, or it's been, a, I've had, I've had a stream in there. I've had a lot of different devices. It's basically look mon no hands device. So that's a $15 pouch. And that's, again, that's, that's worked pretty well for us. Lots of people use them for IRA and it's inexpensive in terms of the quality. Now, a new product, a relatively new product, is I am always looking for bags for Braille displays. 
because my concern is that while we may have a you, we may have a display that has a case with it, executive products, some other just, you know, cases that you get. My big concern is carrying a Braille device around that protects it and protects it securely. And again, we work with our motorcycle partner and we have come up with a case that works with the Braille No Touch Plus or Touch. And it is, it, it's a cross, well, actually it's a shoulder bag. It's not a crossbody. This is a shoulder bag. It's about 10 by 12 inches. It's a very heavy duty gloss leather with a very protected inner compartment. The touch sits within about a half an inch on each side and only about a half an inch at the top. So it's very snugly in there. And there are side compartments for accessories. So that's our Braille Touch, touch Plus case. And that's a $65 bag. Another travel item is something we have called a power cube. And it may just be, and it, we, we, we laugh with Ron and Becky that sometimes when the four of us are together, there's four sleeping machines going, four apnea machines going on, CPAPs. And you need a lot of electricity to run those things. Well, about a year ago, we came up with a three inch by three inch all metal cube that has three USB outlets and three AC outlets. And the neat thing about this unit is it's also got a surge protector so that when you kick it in and turn it on, and you can actually tell when it goes on because the button goes to one position when it's on and one position when it's off. But it will protect your devices. It's very tiny for travel. You plug it into the wall with a four-foot heavy-duty cord that almost looks like the kind of cord we used to use on lights years ago to string them. It's a very thick sort of protective cord. And that's, that is a $40 cube. And we carry, usually we're carrying two of those when Kay and I were traveling. I also want to talk about two cables. One of them is what I call a three-in-one cable. And what I call three-in-one is it's got a lightning connector, a micro USB connector, and it's also got an Android type C connector. But what makes this cable unique, especially at its $20 price, the cable is close to half an inch thick. It has a steel core. It is 10 feet long. And most interesting to me, the three extensions are on 12 inch leads at one end so that you can keep multiple devices connected to charge at once. These can be connected multiples at once. And they are also fast charging and they are also for data transfer. So as I tell people, I want to get rid of one cable is all I want to carry and that's it. The only small exception to it is that many of us have tried and sometimes in vain to find a cable that will work with both your iPhone headphones as well as allowing you to charge your phone at the same time. That is called a splitter. Unfortunately, the one Apple makes is not a particularly strong model. We found our own. It is MFI certified and it is much thicker than the Apple splitter. And it's actually pretty rigid. So it's going to, it's like two, three inch cords each coming off like a Y. And it, you can keep both of them running and it will charge without taking away any power, as well as using um, headphones with a lightning cable. And that, that's a $25 splitter. Unfortunately, when they make those little cables, the shorter they are, the more they cost. Uh, back to a couple of bags. And this actually is really known as the Becky bag for short, although we call it our everything bag. Now, the reason it's the Becky bag is having brought one up when we were visiting in Charlotte, um, a couple of weeks later, I ran into her. We ran, we were doing, I think, a conference, and she loaded it up with every, because it's an everything bag, she loaded it up with everything I think that was in the house. 
slight exaggeration, but she threw it at me. It weighed about 10 pounds, and I thought I was catching a football. So we named it the Everything Becky Bag. It has got seven compartments. It will hold a 20-cell Braille display. It is also all in leather. It's a cross-body bag, so you can um, basically make it more secure that way. It's got a 28-inch drop strap. It has compartments for a phone, a wallet, a stream, and your main two center compartments for Braille displays or other large devices. So that that's what we call our everything bag, and that's 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 worked pretty well. We've 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 been able to. Oh, I don't know. I've got a lot. I, I think I did too well. I bought too many of those. Um, I think they're taking up one entire corner of the room right now. But by Christmas, we might get rid of enough of them. I also want to talk about a new bag. And this is simply called a biker bag. It's really a chest pack. And I didn't know what this was for a year Then we carried it because I hadn't quite figured out really how to use it. What it is, it's based on the fact that when motorcyclists are, they want to keep their possessions close to them. They also want to keep them from basically bouncing around and they want them protected. This is approximately an eight inch square, extremely heavy duty leather. It is, I mean, it's, it's, it's even heavier than some of the cowhide stuff that we carry. It's, it's really almost like outdoor industrial strength. It is padded so you can carry a braille display in it. And the neatest thing about this, besides its carryability, is that it's got a cell phone pouch that flips up. And it literally will stand up on its end. You can put your phone in it. The pouch is expandable, which means it'll take pretty much any phone I've tried to throw in it. The camera will stick up enough to point outward, and you can use Ira or Be My Eyes while you're wearing the neck pack. And that is a, a again, I didn't realize how people would wear it. It took me only a year and a half to figure it out. But we finally figured out that this is something that makes it really easy to carry a bunch of stuff if you're doing a day trip and you don't want to carry a purse, this will hold a pretty good amount. It is a, it is a $55 pay, bag and it's going to stay very close to you. Nobody's going to get into it to basically take stuff out. The next bag is something which all of us seem to love. We have been looking for the largest, most sturdy waste pack for many, many years. The one that we've settled on, well, we have two that we've settled on. The one I'm going to quickly describe, it's different than most waste packs you've seen. It is square. It is not elongated. It's an eight by or actually closer to nine by nine inch square. Again, a very heavy cowhide with seven compartments, in, including the main one. It also has two small extensions for keys, change, bills, one on each end. So when you when you have this thing spread apart, it's about 13 inches. But the big roomy compartment is the center compartment, which is square. And we that's that's sort of our bag of choice if we're going to carry everything that's that keeps us hands free. And it also has a very large strap. It'll go up to about a 56 inch waist. That's a $60 bag. Couple of more things quickly. Again, something new. Um, I changed phones a couple of months ago and went from an, an 11 to an SE. And one of the things we've always sold are battery cases. And why is it a battery case provides you extra charging when you can't get near something that you really need to be able to charge your phone with? Well, we start we start buying lots of battery cases. Some work, some don't. I have a closet full of them. But as luck would have it, 
when the SE came out, I bought a couple of different cases and I was totally astonished to see a phone, a battery case that looks like it was made for a blind person in three ways. Number one, most battery cases on the back, you, you push a button to give your phone another charge. In other words, the battery stores the energy. You're charging your phone when you can't get to a connector. You push the button. But this button is raised at least a quarter of an inch above the back of the case, which means you can feel it. It's a big round circle. It doesn't make it wobble when you put it down, but it's easily discernible. A second thing is that most battery cases, the phone is flush with the case, meaning you drop the phone upside down, it's going to basically crack your screen, or there's a good chance of it doing it. These people thought this through. Again, nobody was blind, I think, but they, they were thinking like we might think. The bezel of the case is raised between about a quarter to three-eighths of an inch above the screen itself, meaning if this phone lands upside down, green side up, it's not gonna hit the screen, the pressure is gonna hit on the bezel. The third thing is that it is made of a polycarbonate resin that has sort of two layers. So when you grasp it in the back, your hand are holding it in two different places, meaning this is not something that's gonna slip out of your hand easily. It is a hard ribbed plastic. It doesn't add much weight or bulk to the phone. It's not like some battery cases we have carried. It is a 5,000 mAh battery, which means if you're using an SE without an eight hour charge, it should give you an additional 14 hours or a 22 hour charge. Two more things. Most of you who have run into us know what squeezies are. And these, these are something we discovered again years ago from one of our leather folks, because I'm always messing up cables, tangling them, earbuds, whatever. I wanna be able to carry each thing separately and specifically. And what we have found is a little, these are like old style leather change purses. You squeeze the top and they open. And when you open it, you've got about a three by three inch compartment, which is the perfect size for a cable or a pair of earbuds. Even a pair of AirPods will fit in there and it keeps it very secure. And it also has a key ring built into it. These things are pretty heavy duty. They're not flimsy. And we sell them either as individually, but now, and especially because of COVID-19, what we've been doing, we've been selling them in two ways, either as an eight pack, and they're usually $5 a piece, so we're selling eight for $40. We also traditionally at national conferences sell them with a pretty good pair of wired headphones made by iLove. And what we're doing with that now, those are usually $10 a piece, but we're also going to do five pair of those in the squeeze pouch for $40. So either get them with something in them or something not in them. As I said, they're about three by three inches. And I think I'm gonna do one, well, let's see, one one more item. Ah, oh no, you know what we're gonna do? I forgot. We got two minutes for something else because I think we're, let me just take a quick time look over here and figure out, yeah, okay. We're not gonna get thrown off yet. All right. Um, all right, yeah. all right, no, okay, I'm 30 seconds and we're out. Actually, I'm gonna, we, we have three, well, I have two door prizes. We are using $50 door prizes and if so, and there are gift certificates to guide lights. And if somebody can pull a number who is ever doing the moderating yep. or the name, we'll take two and I'm gonna stop. All right, this is Lacey. I am the door prize diva. Yes, Lacey. Our first winner will be Lena Bellamy. And we'll get you her information. Um, okay, and number two. 
And then number two is huh, myself. <laughs> Macy. Are you eligible? That's wonderful. Okay. Yes, Who knew? I am. Absolutely. Okay. So cool we're deal. using dollar gift certificates. Just call me quickly. A phone number, 617-969-7500. The website is guidelinesandgadgets spelled out dot us. And now with 14 and a half minutes to go, I'm going to turn it over to Kay. Oh, this will teach me to let Barry talk first all the time, you know? Anyway, hello, everybody. Thank you for welcoming us to your conference. We are very glad to be here. Um, we do run our business together, although we have split off into two divisions. Um, I represent the Guide Light Dog Products Division. My passion um, has been guide dogs. They have changed my life. And I, I noticed early on that um, there really wasn't a lot out here specifically designed to assist people who have guide dogs, other than what you get from your schools. And that's not to say that you don't get a lot of support from your schools, but I kind of felt like there was a lot else that could be done. So I started out with safety. My number one concern was being safe out on the street. I worked in the city of Boston for many, many years. And of course, in the winter months, especially, it would get dark early. And I would often feel like the drivers of Boston had very little regard for those of us who were pedestrians, whether we were blind or not, and um, kind of felt like we were a little less than safe out there on the street sometimes. I thought that if we were lit up a little bit um, in the in the light sense, um, that people would at least look twice before they made roadkill of us. And I went out looking for um, some way to do that. Um, there were lots of hits and misses as to what would work best for us um, as guide dog handlers. Um, one, of the, one of the problems I had early on was finding um, any kind of device that someone who was totally blind could tell whether it was off or on. Everything um, were, were kind of like press buttons, a single button, press it once, press it twice, press it three times. And, you know, if you're not keeping track of how many times you're pressing it, well, you don't really know where you are. I did find one product that I've been carrying consistently that's very inexpensive. They are $5, and they are, they are lights that are shaped like uh, dog bones. Uh, you can tell because they have a slide switch when they are off and when they are on. So if you are totally blind, these things can clip to your to your harness, to your leash, to your backpack, to your zipper on your coat, to um, anywhere you're creative enough to uh, find a place to hook them on. A lot of people have given them to their kids and grandchildren to put on their backpacks. Um, I have sold quite a few of them for that purpose. And a lot of people like to have them on when they relieve their dogs at night, um, just, just for a little added visibility. If you do have a little bit of sight, um, we have been known for our light strips that go on the harnesses. They are attached with four Velcro um, uh, wraps that will fit pretty much any harness. I have yet to find a harness that will not take um, the, these strips. They're made up of a soft material, uh, 
well, I shouldn't say a soft material, but um, they are they are strips of water resistant uh, material. The lights, it's actually a strip of six lights that will either you can either turn them on to be on full time. You can turn them on to be slow blinking. You can turn them on to be fast blinking, whatever your whatever your pleasure is. Um, I've also found that they're really great if you're in a restaurant and they're not, you know, a lot of restaurants are very dimly lit. And uh, for those of us who have dogs that blend into the carpet pattern, they are often missed and uh, they're stepped on. Um, serving staff is notorious for that. And I find that when I turn the guide lights on, um, my dog is noticed, not stepped on, and usually greatly admired. So um, those, unfortunately, though, are the push-button ones. You do need to have either a light-sensing device to tell if they're on or uh, have a little bit of sight to be able to see the blinking or see that the, that the unit is on or off. Um, in addition, I got into travel products. Since we're always moving with our dogs and uh, we can't leave it in the car. We've got to bring whatever we bring with us. Um, I do sell pouches also that uh, will um, fit on your guide dog's handle, uh, the harness handle. And uh, they hold a fairly good amount of, um, of things. Uh, you can put a bowl, a small bowl in there. So you'll ha always have a water bowl for your dog. You will also be able to put in a separate compartment your, um, your poop bags, uh, which is got to have them. You know, that's just the way it is. Uh, I also have a cute little device that I found recently. It's only $6.00. And it, what it does is attach to your harness um, in a way so that you can take a full poop bag and you can attach it to this cute little um, uh, wraparound rubber um, attachment that will hold the darn bag so that you're not having to hold it yourself until you find an appropriate place to get rid of it. I had one of my most embarrassing experiences when a neighbor walked up to me when I was walking with my three dogs one day and reached out his hand to shake mine. And as I raised my hand, I realized I had a poop bag in it. Not so good. So that, that has not happened since. I sell a ton of those things. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, they ought to be standard issue for uh, the dogs. Another very popular item, another one uh, inexpensive, they are $12. They are what I call a fur lifter. And they are um, little, little silicone um, nubbed devices that if you rub them on either carpeting or upholstery, they will ball up any fur that's on there and you can just take it away. They're wonderful for people who uh, travel with friends. Um, you can clean up the, the carpet in their car very quickly and most of them are very, very appreciative, appreciative of that. Um, again, $12, I give them away as gifts. Um, I also do some leather items, uh, some crossbody uh, purses um, or just bags. I've got some things in different colors. Unfortunately, I can't go into them here, but I invite you to please uh, give me a call. I've got some great stuff here. And, um, in, and 
Secondly, I invite you to call me if you are interested in dog toys. Before you go, before you go out to Petco, give me a call. I've I've specialized in finding all kinds of things that are appropriate for dog for guide dogs, especially those that are hard chewers. My two chewers, I've got Thunder Thor over here, and I have um, Dastardly Deborah, who are my toy testers, mm -hmm. and they are brutal on their toys. So if you can uh, give me a call, and I will sit down with you. I will uh, go over what kind of dog you have, what uh, playing style they have, uh, whether you're interested in fetching or tugging, uh, whether they like to cuddle their toys, whether they like to eviscerate their toys, what size the dog is, um, what kinds of things you are interested in having for your dog. And I have a pretty good record of working with each and every individual to make sure we get the right kind of toy that their dog uh, will appreciate and that they will appreciate. So um, with, with all that said, uh, just a few minutes left, I would also like to um, offer um, a door prize. And uh, I'm, I can't be as generous as my husband, unfortunately. He has all the um, high ticket items, but I would like to offer a $25 gift certificate to Guide Like Dogs, and um, again, if you don't have a dog, let's talk about some of the leather products that I carry on my end. And we can do that. So whoever is the, uh, the uh, name drawer, uh, if you uh, draw someone for me, I will provide a, you can give me a call. Um, I, I'm assuming you all will give information as right. to how to get Okay. All right. So, so I have, this is Lacey and I am the door prize diva as they've named me. And oh, our good. winner is Jane Farida, who is from Alabama. All right. Fantastic. Well, Jane, get in touch with me. Uh, again, my name is Kay Ann Rausch. Uh, phone number is 781-286-1696. There will not be a test on this uh, information because we can get it to you from the diva. <laughs> Thank right. you so much for having me, and uh, good luck with the rest of the convention, everybody. Enjoy. Thanks, Thank Kay you. Ann. Thank you, um, Barry and Kay Ann. Um, you should see their house. <laughs> That's all I'm going to tell you. You should see his office. You should see their house. Um, and, boy, our dogs have several of her toys, and uh, they're a lot of fun. I don't play with them personally, but my dog does. So just saying. Um, is there any announcements that maybe, Lynn, it would be a good idea to refresh people's memories about how to raise your hand and mute and unmute before we get into okay. our next three presenters? All right. To raise your hand on a, on a landline, you want to uh, use star nine. On an iPhone or an iPad, you want to go to the lower right-hand corner. Under more options, you will find the raise your hand option. It's closer to the bottom of the list. On a computer or PC, you want to do Alt-Y. And on a Mac, it's Option-Y. And <clears throat> when you are asked to unmute, you will see a notification on the middle of your screen 
that tells you that the host has asked you to unmute. So you double tap or, you know, or, or hit enter on that and you will be unmuted. All right. Thank you very much, Lynn. And again, thank you to Lynn and David who are taking excellent care of us as we broadcast live and stream. And uh, we really appreciate all the technical support and the people behind the scenes who provide it. Um, just to give you a little bit of a heads up of what the rest of the day is going to look like, our next three presenters are all North Carolina entrepreneurs and have lots of cool stuff to tell us. Uh, we will take a five o'clock dinner break and return again at six for our banquet. And our banquet will include uh, presentations to our three scholarship winners for this year. And then live on our stage right here in North Carolina. Well, actually, I don't know where he actually physically is. But anyway, we will have live on his computer, Roy Samuelson, who will do another presentation. He's an audio describer, and he will be talking. Some of us, some of you, I did not, but many of you may have heard his presentation at ACB's National Convention Banquet. And we were going to re present that and he said oh no I want to do it live and I mean you don't walk away from something like that that's very cool so be with us for our banquet starting at six I believe Mr. Samuelson will be on sometime around seven but we'd like to have you there to congratulate our scholarship winners too so um six o'clock back right here so um let's get on with the rest of our uh, exhibit programming um, our first North Carolina business person, ministry person, uh, however he would prefer to uh, describe himself, is Pastor Tim Snyder, who runs a ministry called The Spoken Word, and whose uh, story that led him to that point is really very interesting and would actually be better told by him than me. Um, so I'm going to let Tim kind of introduce himself because of of his story, um, and I think you'll enjoy hearing from him. So, uh, Tim, are you ready? I am here. All right. Well, take it away then. Thank you very much for your um, introduction, and um, it's good to be with you here again today. Thank you for inviting me to come and present at this 2020 NCCB virtual convention. To give you a brief history of myself as a person, I was born prematurely with what was then called RLF and um, retinop retinopathy of prematurity, it's now called. So in other words, I couldn't wait to get here. So uh, some people would say that I've been late ever since, but that's not really true. As you can see, I was here on time today. So if I ever get accused of that, you can say, well, he was on time today. Anyway, I was born uh, blind for all practical purposes since birth with just residual light perception. Uh, I um, went to the Governor Moorhead School, which many people did back then. It was a rarity in North Carolina for people to go to public school, although I think a few did do that. Uh, graduated from the Governor Moorhead School 
and then went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So, you know, go Tar Heels <laughs> and uh, studied for speech communications. When I was a senior in high school, I received the call into the ministry. So I knew that I was headed in that direction, but was looking for uh, a, a major that would be rather related. So it seemed to me that speech communication would certainly be related to someone who was going to be talking a lot uh, during their time of uh, service. So I graduated from there and then went to Duke Divinity School. Now, this is kind of unrelated, but uh, what I'm hoping is that uh, people We'll get more if they're not interested in a, a whit of what we provide. I hope I can say some things that will inspire them to say, well, let me try this. Let me try that. I was able to get a part-time job between my college and seminary days at a newspaper, what we now call telemarketing office. We basically called people and sold subscriptions, and I was the only blind person that did that. And when I went to the interview, they said, how are we going to, well, I don't think I was hired at that point, but she kept saying, well, this is how we do it. How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? And I answered all of her questions and said, this is how we can do this and that. And she said, well, let me talk to my boss. So 20 minutes later, she called me and said, you've got the job. So, I just say that to encourage anyone out there who is wanting to be hired and saying, how can I do it? Believe me, it can be done. Anyway, I went to uh, Divinity School, uh, graduated from there, and then served for six months at a ministry in the United Kingdom called Torch Trust for the Blind. I thought I was just doing something short term, and then that was it. I would go and pastor a church or one or however many churches and uh Uh, That would be the end of that. I did not have any notion that I was actually being trained for what I would do for most of my uh, term of service uh, in the ministry. So I returned, though, from England and served for uh, a little over a year as as an associate minister with um, in Raleigh, the capital here of our state. In um, at first, what was then called First Assembly of God, they since changed their name, but we had a good, I uh, had a good time of service there. Uh, toward the end of that time, um, we had a pastoral change, and everyone had to turn in their resignation, even down to the secretary. That's just the way they did it. And so then he hired back who he wanted to hire back, and he decided that he didn't need an associate. So uh, what did that mean? That means I was, that meant I was out of a job. So I was able to understand what is it like when you get laid off and uh, what a challenge that was, but it turned into an opportunity whereupon in late 1987, with the help of a board of directors, I founded spoken word ministries incorporated. Now for the last more than 30 years, our mission has been to provide literature and personal ministry to blind and visually impaired people. And of course, it has since um, branched out into those who are now called print impaired, as you know, the change of the NLS library system. 
So I'm going to zoom ahead now to let you know what is it that we provide. We, we are building a library of Christian resources for those who are blind and visually impaired. And now, as I said before, blind, and we're using the phrase print impaired more and more because people who are members of NLS may or may not be visually impaired. And what you're going to see is you're going to see more and more print impaired people signing up for NLS services who may not be blind. Uh, This is an aside, but what I do hope is that blind people will not get lost in the shuffle as it feels like may have been done. Some people may feel this with learning ally seems like more emphasis, or let me just say this much less emphasis is, is paid to the blind people, which, which is, which was the case when it was recording for the blind. So I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, Certainly in our organization, as long as I have any influence, we will keep blind people front and center. Uh, We are designing the library. It's it's an internet-based library service, and we are designing it so that blind people can do the job. Um, If we had the money, it's not that I want to discriminate against sighted people, but I want either sighted or blind people to be able to do any of the jobs that, that we would have, whether they serve as a volunteer or whether they are paid for service. Now, on our library, we have a few Braille titles, and we're hoping to beef up that collection, and we have audio titles. Now, the audio titles have the same feel as the NLS books do. They have the same daisy uh, type structure, and that's the way we build them. One of the things that we have, as well as having books and Bibles, we just put out an Alexander Scorby uh, King James Version of the Bible, and we will be, within the next three months or so, be making available a dramatized King James Version of the Bible, for those who want that version. So not only do we provide those items, that is the book items, but we provide teachings on various subjects, and we have commentaries that go through the whole Bible, Genesis through Revelation. Uh, One of these commentaries is taught by a pastor who was a Calvary Chapel pastor named Chuck Smith, and that is a very popular series. Now, we have two ways of providing the service. One way is through what I call the read-by-mail program, and that is where we send a cartridge to a person, and, and that has materials that we have chosen for each quarter. So everyone gets the same material, and it's, I, would, I guess you could view it as a reading sampler. And then you listen to whatever you want to listen to, and you send it back to us. And if you get it back to us by the end of that quarter, then when the next quarter comes around, we send you the next cartridge with the new material. If you keep the cartridge, uh, you're not on a bad list, uh, no problem that we don't say, what's wrong with that person? But we'd say, well, they've just stepped off the bus for a little while. They want to listen to that cartridge. And so 
whenever we receive the cartridge back, then you're on for the next cycle. So sometimes I will reach out and say, just making sure everything's all right. Uh, We hadn't heard from you in a while, but there's no kind of list that um, you don't get any bad letters or why aren't you returning cartridges, you know, that sort of thing, except to make sure that everything's all right, because sometimes people pass away and we may not get the word, you know, for months. The other way that we provide the service is simply through download similar to the BARD system. You go on the website, you do searches. We have searches, browse features, browse of various types from browsing one title to seeing the whole catalog, whichever you want to do. You can actually see what we have and what we are adding. We have a feature that says what has been added in the last 90 days. So if you look at it and say, well, I don't know, I don't see anything there that I want right now. I would encourage you to sign up anyway if you think that you might be interested in this genre of literature or teachings because there may be something we add down the road that you say, oh yes, I want to read that. Or things may take your interest later on down the road that may not now. So uh, the sign-up process is very easy. You can click on join uh, Braille Audio and there is a two-page Uh, sign-up process, the first page you complete, and then you check on the first page whether or not you want to receive the read-by-mail service. Uh, If you do receive the read-by-mail, yes, you can go on there and, and make downloads. We occasionally make downloads, but if you can download quite uh, well, and that's the way you really want to do it. We encourage you not to check that box. And that way, that leaves a slot for someone else who really cannot download. Uh, our challenge is serving people from the most advanced technologies, uh, iPhones and all this kind of stuff. By the way, it works with Bard Mobile. Our books, you can read them. You can download. You go through Safari and download the book. You tap on the uh, zip file when you see it it says how do you want to open this how do you what what do you want to you know how do you want to run this file and you just tap choose bard mobile when you choose bard mobile it'll import that book right into the bookshelf and you can read it as a bard book or you can copy the books and read them onto a victor reader stream uh, right now we do not have a direct download process for that the way to get that is for Victor Reader Stream users to call Humanware and say, please make it so we can access the Braille audio materials. So if I encourage people to do that, you know, they won't listen too much to me, but they could listen to you all. So anybody who's a Humanware customer. The um, Braille material is simply BRF files and, and they're zip files that you download and simply unzip the uh, program, Uh, unzip the folder, and it has the book in there. So we hope to have more BRF files. And um, quite honestly, I need to learn more about Braille production because it may be that I'll have to do more Braille production. I've been primarily involved with the audio production at this point. And so, and one reason we want to get more Braille is because I'm anticipating within a couple of years, they're going to be sending out Braille displays to all readers. 
that is, NLS will be doing that. Your local uh, North Carolina library will be providing Braille displays. So we want to be able to make these, we want to have material available so that when people get these displays, they'll have something to read. Now, when you complete a form, uh, we then receive that form and we communicate with either the local library, network library, or NLS. We have arrangements with both. When they confirm, confirm your membership, they don't say anything about how well you can or cannot see, um, or if it's another um, disability that causes you to not be able to read normal ink print. Uh, they don't tell us any of that. All they do is confirm whether or not you're a member. And if you're a member of NLS, you certainly qualify for the service we provide. One of the challenges that we're looking into, and with the Marrakesh Treaty, and I appreciate the work that all the organizations have done to get the Marrakesh Treaty adopted. I have been reading the copyright laws and have confirmed that, yes, indeed, we are able to distribute literature across U.S. borders. Not only does the law say to organizations, but also it says to individuals. So that makes it very exciting for us to be able to do that. So we are looking now into expanding. We have clear interest in Canada, so that'll probably be our first country that we expand, expand into outside the United States. It's really a challenging endeavor because we'll have to um, amend our website and look at our application process and that sort of thing. But it's it's a very, very exciting uh, thing that we have in front of us is, is the adoption of this Marrakesh Treaty. Now, another ministry that we, oh, let me say about the application process. You say, well, I don't know if I can fill out this form. I need help. Because by the way, on the second page, you have to check a box that says, it's, it's, you have my permission to use the information I provide to see if I qualify for your service. So you must check that box for the form to continue. And then you can either list the library or you can list a doctor, nurse, social worker. Quite honestly, most people put the NLS library because that's so much easier and quicker for us to use to qualify you for service. Now, another ministry we have is called the Interactive Christian Community, and uh, that can be found at iccsite.com. Now, our, our Braille Audio Library can be found at brailleaudio.org. That's B-R-A-I-L-L-E-A-U-D-I-O dot O-R-G. Now, what the Interactive Christian Community is, it's a place where people can come. Uh, there is no... Uh, you don't have to be a Christian to come. You don't have to be a part of a particular denomination to come. All we ask is that you are courteous and abide by the rules and are not disruptive. We have a, a code of conduct that we encourage everyone to read before you actually come. And you fill out a very simple form that's on iccsite.com and submit that form. Then you download a little program called Team Talk. And you can install that on your computer, and then you'll be able to uh, join in. Not, so not only can you hear 
programs such as Bible studies or time of prayer or just fellowship. We also have a Sunday morning Sunday school and service that our members conduct. Uh, You can not only hear those, but you can also speak. Uh, And so that's why we call that interactive. And you do not have to be blind to participate in this ministry, this interactive Christian community we call ICC. Although many people who are blind are members of ICC. Now we started using teleconferencing for a little bit uh, during the pandemic. We had requests, could you uh, do the services or at least Sunday morning on the phone and, and only on the phone. So we accommodated that request and were able to do that on a temporary basis. Then we began to look at Zoom as an alternative platform, and we were successful with as our, our Zoom uh, on the Zoom platform. Our, our tests were quite successful. However, uh, not everybody liked it, and not everybody wanted to use it. In fact, we had one person that said, "If you go completely to Zoom, uh, you're just not going to see me anymore. I don't trust Zoom." And and they were used to this platform we were using, and I certainly understand that. So what the end result was for us is that we are going to use a combination of Zoom and the Team Talk platform. So one of our programs, for example, the a, a Thursday morning Bible study that I teach at 11 o'clock, we're currently going through the Gospel of John, uh, that's available on Zoom, and it is we don't use Team Talk for that. Uh, what we are looking into is for some of the programs that are on Team Talk is making Zoom a listening center. So if someone wants to hear what's going on but they don't necessarily want to speak, then they can either call in on the phone or uh, click the link on Zoom, and they're connected with the with the program and they can hear what's going on. So that is still a work in progress, but we are, we're really seriously looking at that and think that might be a good thing for us to do. Well, since we have a few minutes, instead of me uh, going into uh, a long history of myself, I think it would be more productive for us to see if anyone has any questions at this time. This is Becky. And yes. um, our our stories as far as RLF versus ROP are similar. I couldn't spell retrolental fibroplasia, but I can spell retinopathy of prematurity. So um, that's interesting because sometimes I like RLF, but that's just because that's what I grew up with. Well, so, me too. Yeah. You know. And I always tell people that, that, that I haven't been early for anything since, but that's also not you know, entirely true. Uh, I'm curious to know um, how I have another friend who has recently retired from a similar ministry. I don't know if you ever heard of clear vision ministries out of Florida. Um, Well, Thompson, I certainly do know Sam very well. In fact, um, I'll tell you his library. uh, He, he, I didn't get into talking about the different types of ways we have of producing books. Like, for example, we're converting old libraries. 
We're having new narrators, and we are also looking at the possibility of having text-to-speech conversion. But um, Sam came to me when he heard what we wanted to do, and he said, we really are not going to convert to digital. Can I entrust the library in your hands? And so many of the books that were on the Clear Vision Ministries Library, we are actually adding to the Braille Audio Library. I am so happy to hear that because... And they did a lot of the work they did was for seminary students and yes. people, college, Christian college students, you know, in, in Christian programs and Bible translations and things like that. So I'm really, really happy to hear that. But I'm curious if you if you want to to talk a little bit about because Sam had some interesting stories about his time as an actual pastor in a church and some of the kinds of barriers that he felt he faced as a result of being blind. And I'm curious if you have had any similar experiences and how you, you may have dealt with them. Sometimes humor is the only way, but. Yes. Well, I, I think that, um, you know, for the most part, when, when I was in training um, and I was in one denomination and then moved to another denomination, but it was very peaceful. And in fact, I've spoken in churches in that first denomination. And and if I got an invitation today, I would do the very same. But I remember when I was in training, and uh, it, this church, um, the first denomination, was a little bit more liturgical, uh, where you had um, communion at the altar, and and you had to, you know you had to take the plates and you, the offering plates and do things in a certain way. And what I found is <clears throat> I was trying to. <clears throat> Look sighted, I guess is the best way to say. And unfortunately, I thought, if I can just look sighted so people don't think I'm blind, you know. And I realized, and how frustrating that was because I was stiff and and just, it, it wasn't a good relaxing experience. And I realized that, you know what, I have to be who I am. They are seeing a blind man up here taking the offering plates, doing what needs to be done, uh, serving communion if that's what's needed. and But now that doesn't mean that, you know, I don't learn how to do that in a professional and efficient manner. It's mm-hmm. just that I don't try to hide blindness. Right. Um, so, and, and I was fortunate when I was working at the church in Raleigh, I had worked there as a student. And in fact, it's almost like God led me to that because I went to that pastor and I said, is there any way that you can refer me to somebody? And he said, well, maybe we can use you. And so he went to his board and one of his board members worked with the division of services for the blind. And not only that, this pastor read in Kentucky for recording for the blind. So it's almost like for me, the pathway was just opened I didn't have to do anything. In fact, he said, come work with us. And when I was in England, um, he called me and said, hey, would you like to come back and work with us? And so he offered me the job to come back. So that was um, that was a wonderful thing, too. But I know we only have um, three minutes left uh, and just say if there's a hand raised. But I wanted to just touch on, and remember I said, if I, I hope everybody wants our service. Obviously, we wouldn't do it if we didn't believe in what we were doing. But I also want to leave something with you beyond the services that we provide. Uh, 
and you'll hear of somebody that's in a for-profit business. I'm sort of representing the nonprofit sector. I just want to encourage you to don't think you can't do something. If you've got a dream, look at that dream and say, why not? I can do that dream. It may be starting a nonprofit. And don't think also that you can't be paid to do the nonprofit. That can be a career for you or a profit business. Maybe it'll be a part-time, but you know what? It might turn into a a multi-million dollar business. You just never know. And I think we as blind people need to, to be encouraged that we can do. There are ways of doing and accomplishing. And so we should do just that. Well, I'd like to be sure you know how to communicate with us. The contract, the contact information is telephone number 919-635-1000. That's 919-635-1000. 919-635-1000. Is there something about if you say it three times, people get it? Anyway, the website is brailleaudio.org. It's just spelled like braille, spelled like audio.org. ICCSITE.com. Those are our two ministry websites. And we do have our our um, website, spokenwordministries.org, which is our basic website, which introduces you to Spoken Word Ministries. Well, once again, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Um, there's a lot of information I probably have not provided, but if you want to know more, get in touch with me and we can talk about it. Well, thank you very much, Tim, and and we appreciate your time, and and, uh, we certainly appreciate what you're doing out there. Um, I think you're doing some really important work, and I'm glad to know that you know my friend Sam and Ann. Um, Okay. Um, Lacey, do you feel like spinning the wheel? I think I sure can. So our next door prize is going to be a $25 Target gift card, and that's from the Wake, the Raleigh Wake chapter. Woohoo! That that prize goes to John DeLuca. Um, so John, we will get your information to Lawrence, and he will get that card to you. You can buy something at Target, and let's see, or Target if you prefer. Yes, yes. Fancy. Yeah, that's right. And we will give away one more. We will do another. This one is going to be a $25 gift card, a Visa gift card. And that's um, donated by the North Carolina Council. And the lucky winner of that. Well, it decided to spend a little longer this time. Come on, Dana. <laughs> right? Is Candace Steppen? So, Candace. Oh, Candace. Uh, oh, I know who Candace is. We'll get in is. touch with you and get that to you, so you can uh, buy yourself something, something nice, and yeah. Uh, again, if you are listening through ACB Radio and you would like a chance to win one of these fabulous mm-hmm. door prizes, and you have not done so yet please go to www.nccbinfo.org and register for our convention, pay the small registration fee, and you 
can have your name on the magical wheel for door prizes. We will probably have some more door prizes before five o'clock when we break for dinner and we will have, oh, my dog just heard the word dinner. Uh-oh. Um, and we will have um, the door prizes right shortly after six o'clock tonight as well. So be there at the start of the banquet. And uh, I guess, are we ready for our next presenter? Um, is Kate Franklin here? Yes, I'm here. Oh, phew. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so as I said earlier, we're featuring this in this last half of our afternoon, um, North Carolina entrepreneurs, and um, Kate has kind of a unique business, and she's also going into a really impressive career. It's one of those things that if I were young, I might even consider trying. Um, Kate's a sophomore in college studying physical therapy, and I don't want to dwell on that because she'll be talking about that tonight. Um, because she also happens to be one of our scholarship winners, which is very cool. Um, but Kate also has a business that she has owned since, I believe, 2016. Am I right? Yes. And the name of the business is Wagalot, and Kate also happens to be a guide dog user. So there's a dog in her life, at least one, right? So, yes. um, so without any further ado... Um, Kate, who has many interests and hobbies, is here to tell us about Wagalot and whatever else she wants to tell us about. Well, thank so, you. Thank you for uh, allowing me to speak on my little business. I appreciate it. But I am the owner of Wagalot, and I opened that in February of 2016. Uh, at the time, I was a freshman in high school. Um, and my dad is actually going to share a little presentation for those of you who are on and have like a little bit of usual vision. Um, we came up with a couple of pictures to share kind of what I do since it's kind of hard to <coughs> explain. Um, except for the fact I do make a lot of dog accessories. I do bandanas, collars, bow ties, um, leashes, anything like that. Um, and, um, throughout the years, I've changed the way I've made things and I've, you know, adapted, um, different machines to make it easier for me to use. Um, I am very fortunate to have a little bit of remaining vision, but it's not very good. It's not usable at all. So I do a lot of my work through feel, um, and, it's just kind of over the past couple of years, it's just kind of been, you know, my thing. Um, so when I turned 16, um, which was, Ask if they can see the screen. What? Ask if they can see the screen. Can you guys see the screen for anybody? Yeah. 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 So yeah people we, on ACB right can radio can't, but yeah, does okay. anybody okay. who's on Zoom can see it? Okay. So, um, this, I guess, this first slide, it, it is a little bit about me. I am a 19-year-old college student. Um, I'm studying at UNC Charlotte. I actually moved back in tomorrow, so I'm excited about that. Um, I'm <laughs> blind, and I was born with object nerve hypoplasia. <laughs> Thankfully, I do have a rating vision, as I had just said. I um, My vision uh, is super blurry, unfortunately. Um, 
And I actually most recently lost more vision when optic nerve hyperplasia is supposed to be a stable condition. Um, but aside from where I go on, I really do enjoy, like, I love dogs. Like, I don't know how to express my love. Like, I love my guide dog. We have three other dogs in the family. I absolutely adore them. Um, I adore photography and hiking and obviously sewing. So when I turned 16, uh, just shortly after I'd opened this business, my parents had actually surprised me with a nice sewing machine because I had learned on my mom's old machine. And this machine had a couple of adaptive tools on it as well, um, such as setters and different things that make it easier for me as somebody with very low vision to sew. Um, I now have like little magnetic things, helps me keep a straight line, stuff like that. Um, that helps me. Don't know how I change the slide. Mm -hmm. um, so, as I said a minute or two ago, I started Wagalot in February of 2016, um, and I was inspired by my black lab. Um, her name's Brandy, and she really just, first of all, she's adorable. Second of all, um, I was seeing a bunch of different shops on Etsy selling dog accessories and I wanted to be able to accessorize her, you know, dress her up in different little outfits and wanted to be able to do that, but I didn't have the money to do so. So I started my own business. Um, I do sell bananas, collars, bow ties, leashes, but I'm also kind of expanding into little, little products for humans, um, such as matching key fobs currently working on making camera straps as that's a really big, big one as far as advertising. Um, and so I started on Etsy, but I've now switched over to my own website, uh, which is wagotpetshop.com. And I've had over 2,700 sales since 2016, which is absolutely crazy, um, but I'm very fortunate to have that. Uh, so I actually share and promote on mainly Instagram, but I do have a Facebook page, which is Wagalot Pet Shop. And recently the newer form of promotion has been TikTok, which is, you know, I've never been the biggest fan of TikTok, but I guess 2020 brings new surprises as far as promotion. Um, uh, Every season or so, I bring in like new brand reps, new models where I work with different dog accounts on Instagram and they provide me with pictures and um, feedback and stuff like that and like how I can improve and all that type of things. Uh, so I, let's see, I have changed my styles over the years. Things have definitely gotten have improved, have changed totally from, I don't even know how to explain it. I've just, I have, what's the right way to say this? I have, I've started one way, but then as I continue to make it that way, um, the way my brain works is I just kind of brain, I'm always brainstorming how I can improve. So different little ideas would come through and stuff like that. And so I'd eventually change and I'm finally to a point where I'm very happy with the way all my products look and um, the quality and stuff like that. So I really do take pride in quality. 
Um, and I think that's really it about the business, but here on the next slide, I have a picture of my black lab, Brandy. Um, Brandy, she's seven years old and she's my everything. I love her to death. Uh, I'm so thankful for her. Not only has she inspired me to, to open a business, but she's also brought me quite a few new friends um, that I have met through this business. And then there's a picture of my guide dog, Bernard. Bernard and I were matched on February, not February, what am I talking about? July of 2019. And I love him to death too. Like I just, I love my dogs with everything I have and they just keep me going on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, let's see, here are a couple product pictures and it looks like on the left, we have a couple of my collars. Um, so for collars, I can do all different sizes and styles. Um, that being said, like it could be uh, three fourth inch for smaller dogs, one inch or one and a half inch. I also do like flat buckle, flat collars with just a buckle, martingales, um, whether that's fabric or chain martingales. And then I also have adapted and have made a service dog style, which I know a lot of the guide dog schools use, but it's basically a chain martingale with a buckle. And I now offer those as well. And believe it or not, I've found a lot of new guide dog friends uh, through my as well. Uh, in the middle, I have a picture of my bow ties and I've recently just brought those back into the shop and they're one of my favorite things to make. And then on the right, I have a picture of a bandana, which is basically a square folded into a, into a triangle. Um, but the edges are contained um, and folded under so that they cannot fray. And I think that is all I have for you. But if you guys have any questions, I'm happy to answer. Uh, I don't, I'm, I really don't know. Um, I'm happy to answer really anything. Okay, we don't have any hands raised so far. So this is Lacey. I, I have a question. This is just out of curiosity more than anything. Um, okay. What school did you get your dog from? Guiding Eyes for the Blind. Okay. Okay, I, it's, I'm back. It's Becky. I had to go feed my guide dog real quick. and uh, she, She's much happier now. Um, and I took her out and all of that with headphones on. But I was unmuted. I mean, I was muted. Anyway, I'm curious. Um, and I, I, our next presenter is going to be talking about developing businesses. But I'm curious about the process that you went through to create your business and how... How accessible was it and what kind of um, help or support did you need either because you're blind or just because anybody needs it opening a business? Can you talk a little bit about that process? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So when I first started, I had actually never learned to sew until then. Uh, my mom taught me how to sew a straight line or I guess you could say a semi-straight line. Uh, but as far as opening on Etsy, at the time I had enough vision to use to use Zoom a lot. Um, now I can't do Zoom as often, um, but I had never really learned how to use a screen reader at that point. So um, 
I noticed actually about two years ago when I started using a screen reader more often, I noticed that these platforms were accessible in some areas and not accessible in other areas. And it was frustrating because, you know, just to go and print a shipping label, um, I'd have to completely turn off voiceover and, you know, double check all these details, um, which was frustrating. So I generally have, have uh, a message sent out to the person to confirm their address and stuff beforehand so I don't have to worry about it. Um, but as far as other support, really all that, of course, my parents were very supportive as well, but it was really something I kind of just did on my own. It was just, um, as far as promoting on Instagram, you know, I follow other dog pet shops and, you know, I see their content and, you know, we all just kind of come together as a community to help each other better, better our businesses, which I love. Um, so really it was just kind of me with inspiration from others and little tidbits of information from other people in the same, I guess, ind industry. How do you promote your products? Um, obviously online, you have that. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you, do you happen, are you able to sell to local pet stores or um, exhibits at, at fairs or any of those kinds of things? Are you finding outlets besides uh, the online market or do you not need any more at this point? Um, well, I have done a couple of in-person things. My products actually used to be in a small store, but the owner of it actually moved states, so they are not, no longer there, unfortunately. Um, but actually in 2019, I did my first in-person visit, um, right before, or right after I went, went to college, uh, came home for a weekend and did, and participated in something called Last Fridays here in Hillsboro. Um, and it's just like a little, uh, outdoor event, you know, different vendors and live music, uh. But other than that, I haven't really done anything. I've mainly just been through online promoting. And believe it or not, that keeps me pretty busy. So I believe it, especially with your college courses and all of that happening. Oh, yes. Yes, college courses, yeah. too. And there's that, yes. Yes. So, Linda, we have any raised hands? I'm no? unmuted. Huh? Can I ask a question? Yes. It's low, Kate. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for what you're doing. Um, I think it's wonderful that you've done this. And, and I know that the process of going through the vision of services for the blind, um, you have to have a business plan. Um, you have to have uh, the ability to... Tell them exactly what your business is going to be and how you're going to make it grow. Mm -hmm. Did you go through any of that? I did not. It was just a little idea I had in my head and, you know, just a side hobby aside from school. And then one day it just became a job. <laughs> uh, 
that was basically it. That's actually pretty impressive um, because you didn't, you wouldn't have had, did you apply for any kind of startup grants or any of those kinds of things or were you able to, with, you know, support from family and friends or however you chose to do that, were you able to just go ahead and get started? I was fortunately able to just go ahead and get started. Um, when I did start, I was 15 and knew none of the business plan grant type type thing. So, um, but fortunately I was able to just start, obviously when I first started, it was slow, but now it's something that, you know, it's like a full-time job and I'm very fortunate to have that. Hey, what are you studying in school? I am studying to be a physical therapist. Um, right now, I'm currently in the pre-kinesiology major, um, but mm -hmm. that's a prerequisite to get into the exercise major, exercise science major. Um, so I'm hoping to become a physical therapist. Um, as I'm, I like to have an, I like to be a little bit more active. I don't like to sit around. And I feel like this would be a good job for me. I have a really, I, I really am interested in the human body and how I can help other people as well. So. Oh, great. Kate, what do you make your leashes out of? I use something called polypropylene webbing, which is just like a webbing that goes inside the collars um, as well. But I use a fabric called eco canvas and it's like 45% recycled, but it's also a really easily cleaned uh, material, um, unlike cotton, um, stains right. come out really quickly or really easily, and you know they just kind of restore to their original state. Um, but then I also use like, what is the right word? Like swivel clips, so that it can attach to the dog. Yeah. Right. Right. And the same thing with your collars. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's a little bit more durable than fabric. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, I have to ask a question. This is Lynn, the host. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Do you make anything in purple? I'm pretty sure I have purple. <laughs> oh, good. There you go. <laughs> I especially, oh, I'm sorry. Go, no, go ahead, Lynn. I, I especially like martingale collars, and that's why I asked. Oh, well, I can always, I, I don't know. Did I share my website with you guys earlier? No. Yeah, but we're we're going to want you to share it again, but yes, go ahead. Uh, so it's so my website is Wagalot Pet Shop. Oh, that's right. Wagalot.com. Okay. Um, but I also do have Facebook, and you can reach out to me there. Cool. It's also called Wagalot Pet Shop, so okay. um, I can always uh, go through and let you know what I have. Well, because everything, that, all the collar patterns I have, not all of them are on my website since I'm still in the process of transferring over. Well, um, I don't have a dog yet. I'm still waiting. So I don't know if it'll be a him or a her. So we'll just <laughs> have this. That's right. You don't know right. until they tell you. That's oh, right. It's that anticipation thing. Oh, yes. Yeah. I remember. So, I, remember. What, I know. I'm sure you do. Um, 
what are your most popular items? What are people clamoring for? Um, most mostly people are ordering collars and bandanas. Those are my most popular items. Are your martingales similar to the half checks that Guiding Eyes issues? Is that sort of what you patterned them after? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I might have to order one. We'll talk. Um, <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so this is Lacey, and um, I was just going to say that I found you on Instagram. Um, I do have some usable vision, and you make some really cute stuff. Thank um, you. I am currently waiting to be matched with my third dog. Um, and so I'm kind of in the same boat as Lynn where I want to get things from you because they're super cute, but I don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl. So I'm going to have to wait, but I definitely will keep you in my resource list that I have, uh, kind of in my head of places to purchase things because I'm definitely a supporter of small business when I can. And the fact Mm -hmm. that, um, you're somebody that I actually know who you are. You're not just some random person makes Mm -hmm. it even better. So as soon as I, um, meet my new guide, I will definitely be exciting uh, reaching out to you to get a few things for my dog. Thank you. Where are you going? Oh, I'm sorry. So I, um, am actually, have applied for my third dog from Southeastern guide dogs, but I'm also looking at applying to leader dog just because of, wait times and got it all that okay. good stuff. and that's that's a big problem for all the schools right now is the whole wait time issue my uh my little girl ballad is is now being a beast and playing with her aunt clarissa my husband's dog happens to be ballad's aunt great aunt and oh, that's uh funny. <laughs> it is kind of funny and they're kind of tearing apart the uh, living room right now which they do on a pretty much daily basis but Ballad is sort of petite and yellow, and you've got some stuff that would look really nice on her. So we, I will, I'll be in touch. Oh, Thank definitely. You. Is there, are there any additional contact? Uh, is there any additional contact information? Just your Facebook and, and your website are the best ways to do it, right? I do have an email, um, and that is waglotpetshop at gmail.com. Okay. Um, and then the, obviously there's Instagram, but that is just swag a lot. If any of you guys have any of those platforms. Wonderful. Okay. So as long as we know wag a lot pet shop, we're good. Yep. <laughs> yes. I'm sure you'll be able to find me. Was there anything else you'd like to tell us or anything else you'd like to say to us as far as your business or um your the process you've gone through or it sounds like you you know you've you've done really really well and it's all very exciting um i would imagine with college you're pretty not getting a lot of sleep no not really (laughs) (laughs) not really uh do you live on campus at nc charlotte uh yes yeah can you can you make stuff there, or do you have to wait until your home to do that? I, I do make stuff while I'm there, yep. The whole business comes well, with me. <laughs> well, there you go. So, well, I'm here in Charlotte, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, okay, thank you so much. Um, we appreciate it, and we appreciate, you know, it's kind of a brave thing to do. Um, and it's also pretty exciting, and it's I think it's pretty mm-hmm. inspiring, and I think – 
you know, I think, uh, I think a lot of people can maybe look back and say, well, hey, she did that. Maybe I can do something like that. If you've got a skill or a hobby that you can oh, grow yes, into something, yes. something. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's very exciting. Well, so thank it, you for it's sharing just, it. It's just wagalotpetshop.us. Is that what you said? Dot com. Dot com. I'm sorry. All right. I will see if I can put it up on the ACB community list. Oh, thank you. That's very sweet. Yeah, we can, we can post that. And uh, you have a great afternoon, and we'll hear from you tonight. At the you as well. Presentations. Thank you for thinking right. of me. We're glad you were here. All right. All right. Thanks, Kate. Um, Lacey. Yeah. Like, you feel like spinning that old wheel? I think I could give it a spin or two. It only oh, takes wow. a push of a button, right? You just True. take your little finger and tap. Yeah. For those it's who, who, who since Villa Fortune started. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, well, for our, those of you who don't know, Lacey has an app on her phone, which I, it's really a boon to anybody doing door prizes on Zoom. Um, it, it's, a, it's an actual wheel, and she puts in all the names, and uh, it spins and stops at a name. And then once the person is notified they've won, the name can disappear. And so, to top it all off, Becky, we discovered it is voiceover accessible. That is even better news. So if, you, um, if anyone's listening who is going to be helping with a convention in the future via Zoom or any kind of thing where you need to make selections... I highly recommend it. It's called Tiny Decisions. That's tiny, like T-I-N-Y, Decisions. It's in the App Store. I don't know if it's on Android because I have an iPhone, um, but I highly recommend it if you so, you know, if you feel the need to use one because it's very helpful. All right. So let's give away, I think this time, we will give away another $25 gift card to Target. And this one again is from the Raleigh Wake chapter. And that gift card goes to Monica. I don't know how to say your last name. <laughs> she registered. Does it start with an S? Yes. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I'll text her right now. Yeah, let, uh, so does anybody, as a side note, does anybody know how to say her last name? So, Svopa. What, what was that? Svopa. Sorry, oh, Svopa. okay. That's fancy. Oh. But she will be, That's a, exciting. Uh, she'll be happy. She gets to get the Target gift card. And let's do one more. We will do... The last ten dollar gift card to Walmart, which is all, which is from Alamance County, and that ten dollar gift card will go to Kenny Durden from Charlotte. So Kenny oh. will get Anthony your information, and he will get you that gift card. Well, that will be exciting. Um, so our last presentation of this afternoon is uh john samuel or is he here yet I yes think he's I heard here i'm coming in earlier i think i heard him come in um and john has quite a bit on his his uh intro and i would rather he, he tell some of his story 
but he is Director of Business Development, I believe, at LCI Technology or LCI Tech. And, uh, but he's, he's really involved with as sort of an architect of, of businesses. And he has uh, a lot to tell us and probably we can learn a lot from him. So I'm going to go ahead and turn the program over to John Samuel. Hi, no, thank you so much. Welcome, John. Oh, it's very excited to be here. I wanted to thank uh, Lawrence Carter and, and the entire ACB community for inviting me here to speak today. Um, I've had a lot of amazing people uh, in my life who've been allies for me and, and helped me get to uh, where I am today and to be able to speak to y'all today. So, you know, and this word ally, I think is a word that's been coming up more often in our conversations Um social media posts, blogs, and news media. And, and we really need allies if we want to build empathy towards other people's challenges and issues. And we need allies to build a culture that uh, values and, and welcomes uh, all people. And now more than ever, we need to be allies if we, if we want to build a future that's based on justice, respect, and love for everyone. Now, I'd like to introduce you to another type of ally, which is spelled A, the number 11Y, which is a little bit different. Uh, and and it, the number 11 represents the 11 characters between the letters A and Y in the word accessibility. And for those of us in the accessibility space, it's not just an easier way to spell accessibility, uh, which it is. But it's also it represents a movement to make technology more inclusive of all people. And, uh, you know, again, many people, you know, when I, when I speak on Zoom, it's hard to tell if people are blind or not. And, but I am. Blind. And, um, and, and during this time, like this, the, all the experience of, you know, losing my sight, it's caused me to rethink what diversity and inclusion means to me. And with that in mind, I've really started to rethink the whole diversity and inclusion platform and really expand on that. And I came up with a whole new acronym called IDEA, or I-D-E-A, which where the I stands for uh, inclusion, the D stands for diversity, and the E stands for equity, which is now synonymous with lots of the diversity and inclusion initiatives, but means removing the barriers and and challenges for fair and just treatment of all people. And then the A stands for accessibility uh, and providing access to people of all abilities and experiences. And now that A can also stand for ally. My hope is that by the end of this talk that we'll see the importance of making people feel like they belong um, through diversity and inclusion and, and accessibility. And that's what we're really trying to do, really try to build on is, is including the accessibility in, in the whole discussion of, of diversity and inclusion and thinking about allies. Um, but I first kind of tell you a little bit about myself. You know, I wasn't always blind. Um, my dad and moved to the U.S. from India in 1969 to go to college up in Massachusetts. And then after college, he, he joined a company up in Canada called Northern Telecom. But a lot of people here in the Triangle know it as a company called Nortel Networks. And then in 1980, he actually moved down here to RTP. And, and then that's where my story begins. I'm one of those actual people who are actually born and raised in Cary, North Carolina, 
we do exist. We do exist. And, uh, but when I was nine years old, my parents moved out to Tokyo and we were all transferred there again with my dad's job. But during the summer times, we used to come back to, to the U S um, to spend the summer times here. And I remember sitting and laying in the grass and looking at the stars at night and it was fun. I was with my cousins and just having a great time. Then the next year we came back and we were sitting in the same yard, looking up at the same sky. But this was the time when I couldn't see the stars anymore. And that was the first time I realized that something was a little bit different than the way that I saw versus my cousins and friends. But after three years in Japan, my family ended up coming back, moving back to North Carolina. And I went to school here in Raleigh. And one of the most influential time, like, experiences in my life was actually going to high school at Enlo High School here in Raleigh. It's here where I built a great, great group of friends who became my brothers. But at the same time, there was a lot of changes in my sight, and I just didn't know what was going on. Um, I thought maybe I'm just a bad driver, and maybe, uh, maybe I'm just not as good at basketball as my friends were. But after high school, I ended up going to college up in Richmond, Virginia at VCU. But it was during my freshman year of college when I really noticed that something was really off with my sight. I was walking into, into too many things, and I was starting to get hurt. But during, my, uh, during the winter break of my freshman year, uh, I told my folks, and they were actually living overseas, and, uh, but I told them about what was going on. And so I got checked out by a specialist, and that's when I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, or RP for short. The news was devastating for any 18, 19-year-old kid, and I didn't really take it very well. But the things that really went through my head when I found out were, what kind of girls want to be, want to be with a guy I couldn't see? Or, you know, what kind of job am I going to have if I'm, if I'm blind? Now, where am I going to live if I can't drive? These were literally the main things that just kind of consumed me constantly. And, and it eventually led to my actions, me failing out of college. And I ended up coming back down to North Carolina and uh, moving in with my buddies who were going to NC State. But I was ashamed to let them know that I was losing my sight and also that I failed out of Virginia Commonwealth University. But my friends knew that something was wrong, but, you know, they, they, they were always there just to be by my side. And then I actually enrolled in classes at NC State because I wanted to keep up appearances. And I enrolled in classes at NC State through the lifelong education program where you essentially just take seven credits of, of courses each semester. And it was really for people who were um, not looking to get a, a actual degree, but just people who just want to take classes. But I ended up eventually taking so many credits, I eventually hustled my way into NC State. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny because uh, this past week, NC State University just published an article about me. And it was, this was the first time my friends actually knew that I had failed out of college up in Virginia and I didn't just transfer and that I had, uh, was not even in full-time classes until uh, my, my senior year. But, uh, uh, but that was, it was something that I, I wanted to, I was very, very, just really holding very tight to my chest and not letting people know. And during class, like I, I didn't want my professors to know. And I would literally sit in class and just <clears throat> look at the clock. I knew sunset. I had to get out of there before it got dark. I had to get to my car and I had to be able to get home because I was like a reverse vampire. Uh, you could see me during the day, but you'd rarely find me out at night. And so I constantly would be darting out of class, but I eventually did graduate from NC State University. But I knew that I couldn't stay here in North Carolina. I knew I wasn't going to be able to renew my license. And I, 
I decided I'll, I'll go out to Bangalore, India. And the reason I went to Bangalore, India was that I knew I could get a car and driver. And I thought that would really kind of solve one of the biggest issues that I was dealing with was transportation. But after two years in India, I decided to come back to the U.S. and I moved to New York City. I thought I could live, work in the city, pay great public transportation. And not to mention the most New York thing you could possibly do was if you bumped into someone, just put your head down and just keep walking. So it's like the perfect place for me. But it was, it was really during this time in my life that I started to see that not only was it the mobility aspect now a challenge for me, but also me looking at the computer screen. And that's when I found this little mouse that was made by Microsoft. And it allowed me to zoom in and zoom out using this little button on the mouse that essentially gave me a little magnifying lens on the screen. And it was awesome. It was game changing. All of a sudden, you know, the challenges I was starting to see in my work I now was able to kind of get by with this little mouse. But when I was in New York, I, I got a job with the city of New York, providing financial education for city employees during the recession. But when I started to look at my friends uh, in New York, I just didn't see the same type of career trajectory as them. They were all going into finance, banking, law, and I just didn't see that type of future for myself. And but around that same time, I reconnected with a guy named Steve Clements, who I'd worked with in that company in, in Bangalore, India. And he was on the board of directors of a company called Aster. And they were a telecom infrastructure company. So they built these big, giant cell phone towers. And they wanted to start up this operations in Cameroon, in Africa. And, and when I heard about this, I immediately jumped at the office. I said, hey, send me out there. So I convinced him to take a chance on me. And, and, and so he... He introduced me to the, to the leadership of the company, and they, they agreed to send me out there. And to go celebrate after the signing of my contract, they took me out to dinner. And this is when they realized that my sight was much worse than they initially thought. And they were worried what was going to happen if they were going to send me out to Africa. And so I had to convince them that I could do this. And so they decided that, that they would just give me six months of, of, of kind of a trial period. They said, we'll give you six months. And if it doesn't work out, hey, we'll just go our separate ways. So I said, all right, that's fine. So I, I took a $20,000 investment and I left Manhattan and I moved out to Douala, Cameroon. And I went out there to go start this company from scratch. So when I got to Cameroon, I was just, I had landed to this country that I couldn't speak French. I didn't know how to get around. I didn't know anyone. And, uh, but I was able to you know, meet people there, talk to people, explain to people what I was trying to do and build. And I met some amazing people. And within the first 14 months of me being in Cameroon, I took that $20,000 and I built a company that generated $12 million in revenue and $2.4 million in profit. And, and then I ended up taking that business and spreading it across the continent. And in, within three years, I had sales in 22 countries and operations in eight countries. And those same executives who wanted to wash their hands of me within six months now wanted me to give them six months notice before I left. And so throughout this time, I had been you know, losing my sight. And, and, but my teammates were just so protective and so great and just loving for me. And that it was just our own little secret. And, and you know, they were all my allies. They all watched over me. And they made me feel like I belonged. But after, you know, after I had had the success in, in business success in, 
in Africa, I had achieved one of the big goals I had set for myself before moving to Africa. The other goal that I had set for myself was actually to, to summit Mount Kilimanjaro, which is 20,000 feet up in the air. And, uh, and I was able to accomplish that by the time I left. And so now having built this business and being able to reach the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro, I felt that I now had this, the skills and, and, and kind of the credentials to go back and do my MBA, just like all those kids in New York that I was comparing myself to. And, uh, and I decided to look at business schools. And when I was thinking about business schools in the U.S., I really thought I was only two cities I could potentially go to. That was either in New York City, where I had lived, or in Washington, D.C. So when I started looking at business schools, I started to reach out, just sending out emails. And that's when I received a, an email from Liesl Riddle, who is the associate director of the business school, um, associate dean of the business school at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. And she had asked me to come out and visit campus and meet with her team in, uh, in D.C. So I decided to come out and see it before applying to any business schools. And it was awesome. You know, when I got to D.C., campus was right in the middle of campus. There were just all these people from all over the world, which made me feel comfortable coming from Africa. And then I, uh, I also thought there was all this great public tra- transportation. I think this is a perfect place for me. But since I was in D.C. visiting, I thought I might as well go to Georgetown, uh, which was just a mile away from, uh, from, from George Washington University campus. So I walked over to the campus and I went over to the MBA office and, and I told them I had just come from Africa, would love to learn more about their MBA program. And the, uh, the person at the uh, MBA office told me, oh, everything's online. You can find, you can learn whatever you want there. So I walked out the door and needless to say, I never applied to Georgetown. And I actually didn't apply anywhere else. I only applied to George Washington University and it ended up being the best decision of my life. It was actually during the first week of my MBA orientation that I was, I was actually uh, at this networking event and we had to, there were these name cards where you're supposed to go sit and, and I couldn't see where I was supposed to go sit. So I turned to the person next week and I asked him for help. And it actually was Liesl Riddle, that associate dean who had recruited me, but she had no idea that I couldn't see. And little did I know that she actually had a child with special needs and was, could empathize with what I was going through. And she encouraged me to be open about my vision loss with my classmates. And I often say that's the reason I was able to, to, to open up and just be my authentic self and open up my heart. And that's actually where I met my wife in the MBA program. And, uh, but even though I was now able to talk to my classmates and friends about my vision loss, I, um, I was still scared about telling employers about my vision loss because that experience I had had um, previously. And so as I was applying to jobs, I was doing really great on these phone interviews. And, but when they met me in person, that's when things just didn't go well. They just weren't expecting somebody with a visual impairment. And so I didn't get a job right away. But the associate dean, Eliza Riddle, she was on the board of directors of a emerging market crowdfunding platform. And so I ended up joining that firm and I landed on my feet. But in 2017, there was a shift in investment um, appetite from emerging markets to more of a US-based investment. And uh, I found myself without a job. The company collapsed. And, and my wife and I had just built a house in Washington, D.C. And we also had just welcomed our first child. And the stress of all of this just caused my sight to diminish even faster. 
and I didn't know what was going to happen. I could no longer using the magnifiers and inverted color screens, all these little tricks and accommodations I had figured out for myself were no longer working. And I didn't know what was going to happen to me. But around the same time, a buddy of mine sent me this article about this software that was developed at a company called SAS that was designed to help people who are blind and visual impaired visualize graphs and charts using sounds. And I thought it was pretty cool. But what was really cool was the guy who designed it was a guy named Ed Summers, and he had RP as well. And he lived in my hometown of Cary, North Carolina. <gasps> and up until this point, in 17 years, I had never met another person who was blind. And I tried for months to get in touch with this guy. I tried getting online, emailing, anything I could, but no luck. Finally, my wife said, if he can live and carry, maybe we could too. And so we started looking online. And we found a house online that we liked. And we told my folks, and they got so excited. They never thought I was coming home. They immediately jumped in the car as they're talking on the phone. And my dad started driving to see this house. And as he's driving, he, uh, he started yelling at something. I was like, what are you doing, dad? He's like, oh, there's a blind guy on the road. Maybe it's a guy you're trying to get in touch with. Like, oh, dad, please don't yell at blind people on the road. And he's like, all right, all right. Gets out of the car, walks over to this guy and says, are you Ed Summers? And the guy says, uh, yes, I am. And my dad says, my son's trying to reach you and just puts the phone in this poor guy's ear. And after apologizing profusely, he agreed to meet me. And so I came down from D.C. and met him for coffee. And a 30-minute conversation turned into three hours. And Ed became this mentor and, and friend and somebody who could just empathize with what I was going through. And it was amazing. I, I, it, I had never had that feeling that just of having someone to talk to. And, and it was funny, Ed and I were sitting there at Starbucks and he's, he's now kind of, you know, making all these introductions, sending all these, you know, text messages and emails. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how's he doing this? Because the saddest day for me was the day I had to get rid of my Blackberry and I got an iPhone. I just thought I wasn't going to be able to send text messages anymore or do anything. And uh, here's a guy who was able to do all of this while still having a coffee with me. And so he introduced me to the world of accessibility. And then eventually he introduced me to all of these, you know, he's like, you got to get in touch with all these diversity and inclusion leaders. And so I started reaching out to all these companies about diversity and inclusion. I said, all right, I'll be open about my vision loss. And, um, but no companies were applying to me. And at the same time, I had been listening to a lot of podcasts. And one of the podcasts that I was listening to was uh, a podcast called uh, How I Built This. And there was this guy, there was this guy uh, who came up with the idea of Tom Shoes, which is this shoe company where they uh, uh, give a pair of shoes to people in need. When you buy a pair, they give a pair to somebody in need. And I thought the idea was cool. But I was talking to Ed and I said, you know, everywhere I go, I typically have sunglasses. But instead of giving a pair of sun, I'd like to sell sunglasses. But instead of giving a pair of sunglasses to somebody in need, I'd like to have people who are blind build these, make these sunglasses. And so instead of, you know, if I can give somebody a job and give them hope, I can give them a life and generational impact. And that's when Ed said, I got to introduce you to someone. And he introduced me to Jeffrey Hodding, who was the president of LCI, the largest employer of Americans who are blind. And who knew that seven miles from where I grew up was this largest employer? And, and it actually occupied an old Northern Telecom building or Nortel Network building the same company that had brought my family to North Carolina 40 years earlier. And I ended up joining LCI and I was tasked with creating a, um, a 
new business that was focused on creating uh, knowledge-based jobs for people who are blind. LCI had, had been in the business for 80 plus years, focused on manufacturing, but really wanted to change what the image was. And so I came in and was tasked with this daunting thing of how do I create a new business that's going to create you know, hundreds of jobs for people who were, who were blind. And that's essentially what was the formation of LCI Tech, what I lead today. Initially, we started looking at call centers and we thought, all right, we can create call center jobs. But when I started looking at a lot of the call centers, the software just wasn't accessible. And that's when we said, yeah, take a step back and let's pivot and let's focus on accessibility because that's a barrier we need to focus on because we're not going to be setting up anybody for success if the system's not accessible. And so that's what we did. And we launched a new business that's focused around accessibility. At the same time, I had the support of Jeffrey Hodding, who's the president of LCI, and my, my old boss, Dwayne Gilbertson, who was the VP of business development. And the two of them have become my allies and just such encouraging people in my life. And they've given me the confidence that I can do this. And just like, you know, it was kind of funny because when I talked about coming to LCI, it was similar to the experience I had at GW. I finally felt that I was able to come out of the closet of blind person. And it was great. I, I was able to be my authentic self and we started to grow. And one of the things that I noticed was that we weren't going to be able to do uh, this all alone and we needed partners. And one partner that I'm super excited about is one with a company called WalkWest, which is the North Carolina's fastest uh, digital marketing firm. And and not only are they just a fast-growing company, they're also focused on diversity and inclusion. And the kind of origins of this partnership came that I was at a conference and I heard the CEO of WalkOS speaking and he talked about diversity and inclusion in the technology space. And, I, and he offered at the end that he would meet anyone for coffee. And I took him up on that. And we grabbed coffee and we were talking. And when we were, we were speaking, he never thought about people with disabilities in diversity and inclusion and never thought about people with disabilities using technology. And so I opened up his eyes to this and we decided that this is something we're going to work together and we're going to expand. And so, in fact, you know, this partnership over the last year, year and a half, as we've been working together, doing small projects and things like that, is now culminating with on October 5th, we're actually creating a whole new joint venture where we will have a whole new brand, a whole new logo, whole new name, everything. And our hope is that we're going to be able to reach a whole new audience. And I'll be leading this whole new business. But it's been amazing to have a partner like WalkWest because they have been able to have, make it great to have this implementation partner who's able to take my craziest ideas and thoughts and help me bring it to reality. And one of those ideas has been uh, something called Drip My King. And so... Uh, it took me years to actually start to use my white cane. As, you know, as I told you my story, I went through really kind of keeping my vision lost, uh, a secret to, to the broader community and just everybody. I didn't want people to know. I, I just didn't want to stand out. I didn't, I kept it all to myself. And so, um, I, but when I, I was actually at a business trip, my first year at LCI and I was out in Kansas and I was walking with my colleagues and I walked into a glass wall <gasps> and there was a guy named Mike May who was standing next to me with a guide dog and Mike May 
who was blind says, I see a cane in somebody's future. So after that trip, I came back home and I met Ed Summers for coffee. And I told him what happened. And he said, hey, John, we're friends now. I got to tell you, you got to go get a cane. So I left that, that coffee, went home, got online and ordered a cane. And I got a cane in the mail and I haven't put it down since. And so I started using this cane everywhere I was going because the adoption of the cane was so much easier because I saw what a screen reader had done for me. It changed my life. And the cane now was doing the same thing. But I was going to all these networking events. And what I noticed was that when I was going to networking events in, in Raleigh and, and these crowded areas, the cane became this barrier. People were scared to come in and approach me and talk to me. They were scared about saying the wrong thing. But my colleagues with guide dogs didn't have that issue. People would come and talk to them all the time. They could all relate to this guide dog. And that's when I came up with this idea. I was like, I want to be able to create, you know, a design, design my cane to make it more of a talking piece rather than a barrier. And so I don't know if you remember this old TV show back in the early 2000s called Pimp My Ride. It was where they used to take old cars and design, you know, soup them up, putting all these different things and make them look cool uh, to these old cars. And, and so I thought this idea, I was like, oh, let me pimp my cane. And so I was talking to my partner over at Walk West about this. And they thought it was great. They're like, let's try to figure out what we can do with this. They told me that pimp is no longer a cool word and that drip is now the cool in word for young folks. And so we decided to launch Drip My Cane, which is a contest where we're getting designers from all over the world to come up with designs to be able to wrap around my white cane. And our hope is that these type of wraps will now become a talking piece and be able to break down that barrier and really start conversations about disability awareness. And, you know, when I talk about allies, this is the type of allies that you know, we need. You know, there's a lot that we can do on our own, but having allies and partners, we can go a lot further. But that's just a couple of things that we're doing. I'm so excited about the opportunities that we're going to have partnering with WalkWest and our new company that we're forming. And um, yeah, but I'm just so thankful to share this with you guys. And uh, thank you guys so much for having me. Okay, folks, if you've got questions for John, feel free to raise your hands. Um, hopefully, uh, there's a lot of inspiration in your story, John. Thank you for coming and sharing it with us. Um, but I'm sure there must be some questions out there. Jamaica, there's a notification on your screen to unmute. Um, my question is about the um, um, about the uh, your your company. Do you um, work with people that are that are look that are looking for job that are looking for jobs? Yes, yes. So it's a great question. Yeah. So we I mean our team is made up of uh, majority of people who are blind and low vision, and so we are always looking for people to join the team. And so we're looking at accessibility. Con analysts, consultants, and the whole idea is upward mobility. And so there's always opportunities within the team. We're not always hiring on people, but we're always having people kind of in the pipeline. It really comes down to us getting more business so that we can grow and, and be sustainable with our employment processes. But as I mentioned, you know, accessibility services is just one line of our business. There's actually three pillars of what we're trying to do. One is accessibility. The second is disability inclusion. And this is where we're working with companies to help change their culture and mindsets and help make sure that their uh, application process, hiring process, onboarding process um, 
and then uh, training and development to the promotion process are all accessible and accommodating. So, you know, we're looking to hire people, but we're also helping to get other companies ready to hire people uh, who are blind and low vision as well. And then the third pillar of our business is our, um, is our workforce development program. So we'll be launching this in the next year. And that's really going to be focused on helping young folks who are in college, uh, I mean, high school, to help them graduate from college, give them the job skills that they need, whether to go into college or to go into the workforce. And then folks who are in college, giving them internships, helping them get internships, giving them the job skills that they need so that when they exit college and kind of the encouragement to get through college to do that. But yes, we're working on several ways so that we can, we can create employment. So. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for your question, Jamaica. Anybody else? Hey, John, my name is uh, Chris Bell and I'm an old guy. Uh, <laughs> and, but uh, one of the things that, that I've always felt uh, is that the ability for us as blind people to, uh, to be proficient in technology, uh, you know, like if you want to go on to college or graduate yeah. school, you really need to know <clears throat> how to be able to efficiently create uh, documents and, and read diagrams yeah. and all that other stuff. And I'm not so sure that those skills are taught anywhere to an adequate degree. That's cool. And I wonder what you thought about that and how yeah. your efforts uh, uh, relate to that. Yeah, that, you're 100% right, Chris. You know, um, um, and that's why that workforce development program that we're trying to build out that we'll be doing in the next year is really focused about that. Because the proficiency, you know, um, it, it's, you know, people learn how to use a screen reader or use assistive technology, but I talk about the, the speed of business, right? And that proficiency that we have. When I joined LCI, as I mentioned, I, I didn't necessarily talk about a few things. I kind of skimmed over this. But when I met Ed Summers, he told me, he's like, if you're going to continue a career trajectory, you're going to have to learn as a person who's blind. And I didn't understand what that meant, but that was me learning how to use a screen reader and be able to use it proficiently. And so after I, I left Ed after that first meeting, I started listening to audiobooks and I just started ramping up the speed to faster, 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 because I heard Ed's screen reader and I knew I had to get to that proficiency. So I trained my ear to be able to, to, to listen faster. And then when I joined LCI, I, I asked somebody in the office, I said, can you teach me how to use a screen reader? And for two weeks, I just, all I did was train, train and ramp up and became proficient. And I got rid of the mouse, got rid of everything. I said, I have to use this because I have to be proficient. I have to move fast. And so when I saw what I had to do and I forced myself to train that because I knew this was the only way I was going to be successful. That's one of the, that's why we realized that this is one of the skills that we need to give um, folks in school, going into college and going out of college, that skill, because there is a, there is a speed of business to be proficient. And that's not necessarily taught. And people don't see that. And because uh, I've seen people when they come and interview with me for jobs, they're just not at the speed because we need to compete with everybody out there. And, and we, we have to be able to use our assistive technology efficiently and effectively. You're right, Chris. Yeah, that's a really big point. Anybody else with raised hands? Nope. No. 
Anybody on the panel have any further questions? I think you answered them all, John. It's what it sounds like, huh? Yeah. Well, this no. is Lacey. And I'm, well, I, 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 I can keep asking John questions. <laughs> Lacey jumped in there. Let's oh, I'm sorry. Lacey. I didn't hear you, Lacey. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Um, so as someone who has low vision myself, um, so I do still have usable vision. Like I'm mm -hmm. using today, I'm doing all the Zoom stuff with vision, not, not with voiceover. Yeah. What And I'm looking, I'm currently looking for work, um, yeah. which not only are we in a pandemic, but, you know, the vision loss also is not in my favor. Um, and I, I did listen to what you said, but I was just wondering kind of as someone who has been through that process and who yeah. is now um, on the other side, so to speak, yeah. um, as I the interviewer, what are your thoughts on disclosing on. your disability now and the best ways to do that? Um, yeah. I had one, I will tell you real quick, I had one experience where they found out before the interview that I was visually impaired and I never got a call back for the interview yeah. because they found out that I had low vision and it was like, all of a sudden I was no longer in their thoughts. Yep. You're, you're, that, that's the same feeling that I had, right? And it was, I was scared to tell people. I didn't want to disclose. And I think that even three years ago when I was, you know, when I mentioned I was reaching out to all these companies about diversity and inclusion, and they're talking about they want to make a more diverse and inclusive workforce. So I thought I'd talk about my vision loss, but they, I didn't get a single, nobody wanted to, again, no interviews, not a single one. And, you know, the interesting thing was three years later, um, you know, and this is not, not to be braggadocious or anything, you know, I end up getting awards. I got a top 40 under 40 in North, in, the, in North Carolina. Then I got the 100 young leaders to watch in the country. Now all those diversity and inclusion people, they all want to talk, right? And it's <laughs> one of those things. It's like now I think where we are three years later and where we are about disclosing and being more open about it, I think that if a company, if you can't be your authentic self and you can't disclose and say, hey, this is just a part of me, but it's not going to hinder me from doing my job, and you can, you, you, you're open about it, if a company doesn't want you for that, then that's not the right company for you, right? Because we need to be happy. We need to be our whole self at the office and not be worried about a company who's not going to be worried, not, not be thinking about us and giving us the accommodations that we need. Does that make sense? So I really would yeah. encourage you to be open about it and, and self-identified because you want companies who, who want people like you because you bring a lot to the table and they're going to, they're going to get more value out of somebody having a more diverse because the way you think and the way you use your technology, that's going to be, it's going to open eyes. It's going to open minds and you're going to bring a lot to it. Too. Right. And you right. want companies who want that. So yes. I encourage you to be open about it. Thank you. Yeah, so this is the old guy again. Uh, so uh, I, I've been I've been uh, blind for a long time, and and uh, <clears throat> I've had a number of different jobs as a stockbroker and, and high school teacher, and uh, I'm a lawyer, uh, retired now. But I always found that when I <clears throat> if I got in to get an interview, the very first thing I talked about is how I would do my job as a blind person, um, because I believed. That, that was the big elephant in the room yep. for that sighted interviewer. Yep. I didn't talk about anything else until yep. I had 
tried to persuade them that notwithstanding that I couldn't see that they were 80 pounds overweight, um, <laughs> that, that I could do their job. And, and yeah. until we got past that, then I could talk about, you know, education and, and, uh, and other kinds of things that would be a more traditional uh, job interview. Now, I don't know whether that's still, still the case, uh, but the other thing I would do is I would go, if I thought I wanted to do a particular job, I, I'd go to, like, when I thought I wanted to be a stockbroker, I went to a brokerage house and yeah. I, I ran into a guy and I said, I want to buy you a cup of coffee and I want you to tell me all about your job. Yeah, and he, he would. Anybody loves to talk about their job, so yeah. I buy the person a cup of coffee, and they tell me about their job, and and then I'd have a connection. Yeah, uh, and and you know, so those are the two things that I felt I had to do, and I I don't know whether that stuff still works or is still appropriate, but that that's how I had to deal with being blind, and I couldn't I couldn't pass. Oh. Uh, and you know, I I'm I'm in awe of all the effort, and the emotional effort. It must have taken you to try to um, pass as a sighted person yeah. when you were struggling with your declining vision, because I, I know that must have taken a huge amount of energy and, oh, yeah. and emotional energy. And yeah, I, yeah. I just, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it was emotional toll, physical toll. You know, I had stitches all over. I was always <laughs> bloody, my shins, my God. face, you know. You're right, but the emotional toll, that just the heaviness, the weight. But you're right, you, you, Chris, you talked about the how, and that's the big problem is like when employers are like, oh, how can you do this, right? It's we need to get rid of the how and say, I can do this, and this is how I'm going to do it. I mean, it's a sad thing, right? Because they wouldn't ask somebody, can you do this job? They, that's, how they, that's a normal question. Can you do this? They don't ask, how are you going to do that job? But the way that you addressed it up front, you said, here, this is how I'm going to do it, right? And you got it out of the way. I think that's, it's still the case. And then you grabbing coffee, that's just like anybody, right? Grabbing coffee. If you want to go into a stock program or whatever job, I think that's just, it's, that's how anybody who wants a job does it, right? And I think we need to, as our community, we need to be doing the same type of thing. It's just, is meeting people, understanding the job. And then that way, when you go into the interview, you already know what's expected and you can explain to them how, this is how I'm going to do it. And you get rid of that, that elephant in the room. We have a hand raised. All righty then. Uh, Tim Snyder on the panelist side. You can unmute. Yes, uh, this this kind of is is a question for John and uh, Chris too. I don't know how long ago he was a stockbroker, but I know technologies have changed a lot from when you just called somebody on the phone and they placed an order to now you go online and and place those orders. For John, do you see the change in technology now from what it was, say, 20 years ago? Uh, do you see that that is opening more doors for blind people in work or that that is actually closing some doors because of the types of technologies that are developing? And Chris, how did you handle placing orders and that sort of thing for the people or when they wanted to say, what do the charts look like on that stock, mm -hmm. et cetera? Um, so I'll leave it with those. Well, let, let, let John talk because he, he's more relevant. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I was a stockbroker 35 years ago, so technology well, has well, changed a little bit. And that's bit. what makes it interesting that things you were able to do that 35 years ago when it might have been impossible, which sort of leads to my technology question then and now. Yeah, Chris, could you answer that first, and then I can go after that. Sure. Well, I, 
I had some vision, and uh, they had uh, uh, they used the software on a computer called the Quotron. I don't even know whether Quotrons exist anymore. But essentially, it was a screen, and you could punch up uh, the names of companies and stock quotes and all that kind of stuff. And so I had a uh, <clears throat> I had a camera that would focus on the screen, and then uh, the software would enlarge the image and give me a negative high contrast image. And so uh, I was I had enough vision so that I was able to uh, to read quote, quotes and stuff. And uh, frankly, I don't remember how I wrote tickets. It was you had to physically write them. It wasn't. Uh, uh, I, I might have used a magnifying glass, or I don't remember what the hell I did. It was too long ago, but I, but I was able to do it. And uh, I, I, the only problem was I hated selling, which is exactly mm. what that job was. Hey, you want to buy a Ginny May fund? Click. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you, you can't you can't do that call stuff anymore. But anyway, uh, that's how I did it. Yeah, and I think from the Tim from the technology side, I think that the technology is it's closing the gap. Right, the technology, it's a, but it's a double-edged sword. Technology, because it, we're using more technology, we can build accessibility into it. We have assistive technology to be able to to be able to to use this new technology. My biggest fear is the gap that's going to create is that if we don't get people uh, trained and exposed and the proficiency of using assistive technology and the education to be able to uh, stay stay up to speed with what's going on with technology that gap is only going to divide because we're seeing that we're moving into AI. We're moving into more of this more development space that if we don't get people in the blind community trained and educated on how to become, uh, get jobs in the tech space, then we're going to, uh, that's going to be the, that's going to just create a bigger and bigger divide. So technology. It's not just, it's not just training. It's ongoing training. That's because cool. everything is changing it's so fast. So fast. Yeah, it's, yes. it's amazing. Yeah, that's why the training and development piece, right? So you get people trained, and then when they're in the company, we need to make sure that the training and the development is is uh, accessible and accommodating. Otherwise, there's no path for upward mobility, right? And we're going to be falling behind. And Chris, I appreciate you answering my question because, and, and, and joined with John, because I think that highlights the real concern, the problem that exists. And that is, for example, if I'd have showed up at that office, I was old enough, uh, telling my age now a little bit, but I was old <laughs> enough to actually be able to do the job, but they would have turned to me and said, I'm sorry, you can't do the job because perhaps the technology and the screen reader, you know, were not up to snuff to be able to do it. But then you would have gotten the job because you can see enough to be able to do it. And I think that's the concern that we have to look at and face is the what you can do as a blind person and what you can do as a visually impaired person. Well, I, you know, I, I, I get what you're saying. And I think what John was saying is that that period of time when you're in transition, when your vision is declining so that your use of it on, let's say, a job site and using uh, some kind of magnification or zoom text or whatever gets less and less efficient. But you want to do it because that's what you know, and you don't want to give it up and go to all, you know, yeah. JAWS or some other kind of screen reader because that feels like failure, or at least it did to me. I won't generalize. Yeah. It feels like, oh, my God, you know, now I'm really screwed um, yeah. because I, I, I can't work the way I used to. What am I going to do? Yeah. Um, 
and you know everybody that goes through from low vision to blindness goes through that yeah. uh and uh but you know the point is that uh you can do it as a blind person i mean one way i did did it uh, because i specialized as a lawyer since i was privileged enough to be one of the lawyers that wrote the americans with disabilities act um and oversaw the regulations that's how i practice law that's what i focused in on mm -hmm. and i knew more about the americans with disabilities act than any other lawyer in the firm or any other lawyer in the country and th that allowed me to be more efficient than a fully sighted person who had to look all this stuff up because i had it all in my head um and, and so specialization is one way we can do it but the problem is that specialization i don't think works all that well anymore because of AI and because of the shifting nature of jobs and, and work. And so, you know, I don't have an answer for that, but that's how I was able to do it. Yeah. But we're not the only ones impacted by all these dramatic changes. I mean, I can't tell you in working with sighted people, how many people said, I can't do this job anymore. I don't understand this technology. Yeah. Um, so while it's more um, pronounced for us because um, because uh, the technology is is not initially built for us, it has to be adapted for us. A lot of times, um, there's still that whole, you know, change that's happening in a lot of different areas for sighted people too. Yeah, but that's that thing. That's you, you're, that's there's a point right there. I think that we need to get more involved in, into design and and awareness of you know of, of people with disabilities and just people in the blind community our needs. So that when they're designing software, they're designing these new programs, that they're thinking about accessibility from the foundation. Yeah. Because, but, and I think Chris also made a great point, you know, that transition period, that efficiency, you know, when I was, it, it was the, I did not want to let go of my, my screen magnification. I did not want to, I thought I was giving up, but the efficiency of me, of me using a screen reader, the amount, I mean, I can listen at what, three X, I can read books in a couple of hours. How many other people can do that? Right. But that's something you can train yourself. But I had to train myself because I wanted to be efficient with the screen reader. So there's there's certain ways. Once we figure out our efficiencies and where we're where we're we excel at, I mean, we there are some superpowers there that we can build on that um, that help us every day. So yeah, it's exciting stuff, though. It is. It is. I I was intrigued. We're, we're down to about three minutes, and I just was thinking about this while you were talking. Early on, you were talking about being not being able to drive and how yeah. difficult that was. And I was denied two different promotions in a, a county facility that I worked for before I went to Guiding Eyes. Worked for Guiding Eyes simply because I could not drive. Yeah. And you know, we tried to find workarounds and. Um, at one, but then they moved our office to someplace that there was no public transportation between my, where I lived and where the office was relocated. And that was a whole nother big thing. We resolved it, but transportation is probably the other piece that, um, creates the most stress yeah. in the job hunt. It really and, does. But, but I think, you know, there's a couple of things here. COVID, that silver lining of COVID is that all of a sudden where companies said, oh, we can't virtual. do this at home. It's all virtual. Now it's all being done at home. But that yep. now puts more of a focus on accessibility. And uh, and again, as we talk about technology, Uber, you know, autonomous vehicles, these things I mean what's what's going to change in the next 10 years? Transportation is going to change how we do our work and um, yep. the future of work is going to change. So it'll be interesting yep. to see how that works. 
Well, John, we sure appreciate your story, and I hope you'll stay in, in touch with the uh, North Carolina Council of the Blind. We'd ha- actually love to have you join us. Right. Um, but um, we appreciate your, your time and what you're doing and, and could look forward to hearing more of and from you. No, thank um, you so much. As for you move me. forward in all of this, it's very exciting stuff. No, thank you so much. No, no please, you know, you, you can, right now the website's lcitech.com. So you can, you can take a look at that. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. And that's something I do want more people who are job seekers to really get on LinkedIn and, uh, and to be active on that because that's where everybody's looking for jobs. And the more you can share your experiences there, that's great. So please find me on LinkedIn and, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, and please connect with me. Well, I'm about, Chris and I are about the same age and we're both retired. So I, I got off my LinkedIn account. <laughs> I would strongly encourage anybody who's looking for a job to, to open one. It can get a little busy, but you, there might be some gems in there that you might not find otherwise. Yeah. Thank so, you. Uh, <clears throat> hey, John, this is Lawrence Carter. Hey, Lawrence. Uh, I want to thank you because you did a great job, and and I like listening to your story every time you tell it. <laughs> no, thank you, Lawrence. You're my eye. You've been just such a great support, so thank you so much. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, we are about to um, take our dinner break. And uh, before we do that, I think maybe Miss Lacey would like to spin her wheel. Um, how many door prizes yes. do we have left? We have four left. Okay. I have so, a comment if I'm unmuted. Oh, you're you unmuted. Hi. I want to let people know that they are going to be extremely disappointed if they don't come back for the banquet. And our scholarship recipients are going to be very lonely if we present them their awards and there's nobody out there listening on ACB radio and joining us on Zoom, either as an attendee or registering even at this late hour, going to www.nccbinfo.org. All right. And we have four door prizes left, and we will do... We'll do, what do, you, what do you think? We'll do two at the beginning of the banquet. We kind of built that into the beginning of the banquet. Um, and then do you want to do two now or do we want to do one now and one at the end? We can do one now and one at the end, I think. Okay. All right. All right. So this one will be for a $25 Visa gift card from the North Carolina Council. And... That will go to. It does that thing give you like little music when it's spinning or anything? It clicks usually. Oh, um, that okay. goes to James Russell. So James Russell has won the $25 gift card um, from North Carolina. All right. Awesome. Well, I would like to thank everybody who's been with us all afternoon and especially Lynn and, and uh, David. Uh, you guys did a fabulous job, and and whatever other support team was joining us, I heard Tyson come in at one point. Um, everybody's been wonderful to work with, and we have our big banquet coming up, and I think you're really going to enjoy 
meeting our three scholarship winners, Kate, who you've already met, but she's going to talk a little bit about what she's doing in college, and Ken, our own Kendall Gibbs, who um, is on our board, and a, a young man named Matthew Bazemore, who we will meet tonight. And then, drumroll please, we will have Roy Samuelson speak with us and answer some questions. And then we will be talking about where do we go from here as North Carolina Council of the Blind and kind of just have some open discussion. So um, enjoy your, your meal. And if you really miss having banquet food, maybe DoorDash has some that you can order in. <laughs> um, and uh, otherwise, we will see you at 6 o'clock. Thanks again to everybody.